Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 77, A Stream of Troubles. I'm Scad, and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hey everybody, we're excited for this one tonight because we are starting the second novella in the Night of the Seven Kingdoms series. That's right, we are reading the first half of the Sworn Sword. Sworn Sword! Sworn Sword, Scad's yep. favorite. It's a goodie. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about it tonight. So like I said, we're reading the first half of this novella. Now, if you've got the Knight of the Seven Kingdoms book, it is pages 121 to 176. So that's the beginning of the novella until just before Dunk treats with Lady Weber at Cold Moat. Okay? Nice and simple. After he meets her, but before he treats with her in, inside. Yeah. Yeah. So so stop before they start talking. Right. Or just keep reading because that's awesome. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. A few announcements. Uh, first of all, we had our first ever and somewhat overdue uh, hangout in the last uh, few weeks, mm-hmm. and you know what? I'll just be honest. Scad dropped the ball on it a little bit in scheduling. Uh, it was not scheduled well enough in advance. We didn't get feedback about what, what times would be best for people. So it was a smallish affair. But I had, even though it was a smallish affair, I had a great time. It was so casual and just so easygoing and fun to just chat with. It's it's honestly, it's just like, it's just like we hear people saying, like, it's like listening to, you know, talking with friends, you know, when they listen to us. It was just like talking with more friends. It was almost, Matt, just like being on an episode with you. Yeah, just with more people. Yeah. yeah. It's what we've always always wanted to be is just friends sitting around in a room talking. Yeah. And it was finally that where yeah. everyone could talk back and everything. So yeah. I agree. I had a ton of fun. And uh, let me share some of the blame too, buddy. I wasn't uh, – we were in this scheduling thing together, so. Well, sure. But I'm, I'm willing yeah. to fall on that sword. Uh, I've got the requisite layers to handle that wound. Um, but uh, – yeah, well, we will. We requisite layers. <laughs> we we will schedule a little bit more in advance next time and try to pick a time that's a little bit better for everybody uh, when we get around to that again. Uh, probably sometime in the spring or something. So, look forward to that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, just a reminder that we've got Ice and Fire Con coming up soon. That's April twenty fifth. Yes, it is. Guys, right 20th. around the old corner. That's right, the 25th through the 28th, and uh, you're listening to this now, it's the beginning of November, probably, uh, unless you're catching up from a long time ago and behind, in in that case, welcome, but uh, you just barely missed the $80 window, uh, and it's gone up to $90 now to get a ticket for the weekend, but SCAD will make you a deal. First of all, put in fingers when you get through the registration, you'll get $5 off of that. But I'll give you $10 myself if you had to suffer the $90 arrow to the chest. <laughs> I'll give you $10 if you walk up and you can say, Hey, I want my $10 at Ice and FireCon. I will, I will have some $10 bills with me to give out. Guys, if you do that, I mean, come on. Scat's good <laughs> for it, but come on. <laughs> I'm just trying to get people to go, man. It's awesome. Maybe just let him buy you a drink or something. Totally um, that. Yeah. Let's do that instead. That's a much better deal. <laughs> Matt, why aren't you in marketing? <laughs> oh, man. I just I just want you to be able to feed your family, man. 
<laughs> you know what, Matt? We have a great podcast, but I don't think we reach that many people. No, we haven't. Uh, let's see. And that's going to be in Ohio. It this is. Year at the Deer Creek Lodge. So you can look that up, iceandfirecon.com. Um, they're on Twitter. Uh, all that good stuff. You can find info on it. It's in Columbus. Uh, it's it's actually just outside of Columbus. Um, flights there aren't, aren't too bad, usually. Uh, and uh, they've got a whole, like, ride-sharing thing where they get a sheet together where you can, like, try to find people that can give rides. I shared a ride um, back uh, with... Uh, uh, a nice woman named Rebecca last last year, and uh, you know, split the gas or whatever. So it was cool. Uh, you know, if you need help getting there, so check it out. It's awesome. Can't recommend it highly enough. And uh, Ice and Fire Con, everybody. Yep. All right. I think they have a uh, flu network. You can also get there. Flu network. Harry Potter, man. Uh, I don't. I. Yep. Yep. I tried. I tried. My kids. I did. T- my kids watch watch the pre because we were gonna try to watch it for like Halloween. It's like you know a little dark and a little spooky, right? We're gonna try to watch it for Halloween. Totes. And my six year old man, <laughs> Pippin, he's just like, no, no, it looks scary. <laughs> Come on, please, I'm dying here with the Pokemon. Yeah. He'll get it. He'll get it. Yeah. He'll get there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we kind of did the same thing. We started watching them, and, and now we are we still have to watch the last two. So oh, yeah. the two movies that comprise book seven. Those last two get dark. They do, They get quite dark. Yeah. Dark enough that I was a little bit worried. Because yeah. our youngest is five, right? So, yeah. But going okay so far. Good, good, good. Yeah. I think it's a new Halloween tradition. Yeah, Pippin's got a little bit of a, that that kind of anxiety in him. He gets he gets nervous about some some things. Every so kid's different, man. Yeah, yeah. I can't say much. I see a clown walking down the street. I cross the street, man. Yeah. <sighs> you don't want him to step on you with those big shoes. All right. Or eat my face off. Oh, that right. Of course. Yeah. Uh, we are spoiler free until the end of the podcast for our special segment we call Davos After Dark. Uh, as always, we will warn you with Matt's uh, great little jingle, and uh, you can jump on off then if you don't want to listen to spoilers for the rest of this series. Uh, and then we'll see you in three weeks if you do. Yeah, and in that meantime, we'd love to hear from you. So you can contact us at all of our different media outlets, DavosFingers.com. Uh, Gmail is wearedavosfingers at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at davosfingers. You can always find us on Facebook. And you can also learn about our Patreon program and all the rewards that come along with it, such as Google Hangouts, at patreon.com slash davosfingers. That's right. That's right. All right. Shall we just dive right on in? Yes, please. All right. The first Give the people what they want. <laughs> Who knows what they want if they came here? Uh, a river should run through it. I've been walking for a thousand miles, wasn't getting anywhere soon. One man die and another tell a lie, it all led me back to you. Dreams and schemes and honor bloodstreams The things that'll carry us through I've been waiting on a dream these days Sure didn't think it'd be you I've been living in a dream these days It wouldn't be the same without you 
Dunk and Egg are stopped in the dead, blistering, ungodly heat of the summer at a crossroad. Cue music. And so are two dead men stuck at that crossroad. They're in a cage, stopped literally dead in their tracks. Who do you think they were, sir? asks Egg. Robbers, rapers, murderers, who knows? Some lords kill men for less than others. It was too hot to deal with Eggish Inquisition, and Dunk just wanted to get back to Standfast with the wine their lord Sir Eustace had requested. But it was hard not to note the men in the crow cages. Two men squeezed where one barely could fit comfortably. The crows had been at them, but worse than that, one had been at the other, trying to obtain one last meal before he died, taking a chunk from his shoulder. Dunk and Egg make their way home through the heat on roads baked hard as brick, the melons on the side of the road shriveling on the vine, lacking the rain they needed to grow, and Dunk thinks back to the outlaws. The common folk were on the move these days, resources being scarce. Bloodraven had demanded they return home, but most didn't. Bloodraven was always watching, and some actually blamed the drought on Brendan Rivers, for kinslaying was accursed, and he had killed his kin on the Battle of the Redgrass Field. Dunk had seen Bloodraven once in King's Landing, and the, King's Landing, and the pale man with one eye missing had seemed to look right into his soul. <laughs> Gives me the willies, that guy. So hot! All Dunk could think about was a soak in the river when they got back, but it was not to be. Bennis of the Brown Shield, a smelly knight also in the employ of Sir Eustace, greets them, asking about the journey when Aegon notices that the stream is dry. And he's right. Where once was a river, now is stone and sand. A dry will do that, chimes in Sir Bennis. But Dunk isn't so sure. To dry up in six days? It had been low, but this doesn't feel right. He decides to send Egg back with the wine while he, against the counsel of Sir Bennis, heads upstream to see what he can find out about this mystery dry season. I'm just going to read you a little bit of what Sir Bennis has to say about this. Shouldn't go turning over rocks, Lunk. Never know what might crawl out. We got us nice straw pallets back at Stanfast. There's eggs more days than not. And not much to do but listen to Sir Eustace go on about how great he used to be. Leave it be, I say. The stream went dry, that's all. Dunk sets out, with Bennis choosing to tag along after all. They stay on the left bank so as to stay off spider land of the Webbers. The Lady of Coldmoat having a reputation as a husband killer and a harsh code against those that harm her lands. This action seems prudent. They make their way through the small Osgrave forest known as Wattswood, Dunk noting how dry and lifeless everything is there. Except the underbrush and vines coating the edge of the river are so thick they had to cross to the other side. And it was then, on the Coldmoat side, when they found the dam. It stopped the stream in its tracks and rerouted the water through twenty or more little tributaries to feed the land of the Webbers. Sir Bennis spots some workers and rides over to parlay, or intimidate, or threaten. He's going to threaten them. But there are 20 of them, and they stick to their guns. They were ordered to make the dam, and Bennis and Dunk don't have any right to be there at all. The penis measurement escalates quickly before Dunk can effectively intercede, and Sir Bennis cuts open an old man's cheek. Dunk counsels the peasants to run and implores them to tell her lady, tell their lady, that they just want their stream back and not any trouble. On the way back, Sir Bennis again notes that they should have just told Sir Eustace that drought dried up the stream, nothing else. A drought Sir, Use, Use, Sir Useless, Bennis calls him, could do nothing about. But someone stealing his water infringes on his honor. And he may not be wrong in principle, but that doesn't mean Sir Eustace has the means. They don't have a force strong enough to battle Coldmoat. Dunk was tired of the heat, 
this convo, and Bennis. He just knew he owed Sir, Yo Sir Eustace the truth, and that Bennis was mean and craven. And that's the end of this section. You know, Scad, in the words of the dude to Bennis, you're not wrong. You're just an a-hole. <laughs> yep. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. Okay, then. Yeah, they for sure apply. Um, you know, and you get the sense that Bennis knew. Right? He knew it wasn't a drought. Yeah. Yeah, like... Just, but just don't go turning over rocks, right? Right. Just, right. Don't go. Don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> just stick to the river, dry river beds, dry, and dried rivers, pallets there. of straw you're used to. I don't know. Um. Yeah. He. He's. He's. Um. He's a craven, like like uh, like Dunk says, and uh, doesn't want to go sticking his neck out for anything. And you can tell he he knows he knows they're gonna find something that's not good if they go looking. Mm -hmm. And you know we we talked uh, we talked in the from the last novella, the Hedge Knight, a lot about what it means to be a knight and how Dunk kind of shows that and dunk commented quite a bit in that first book about wanting to have employ under a lord right to to be a sworn sword to be in their service and what it meant to do that and you know how it would put them in a good place and everything mm -hmm. and you get here uh, you know and he didn't have that employ at the time now he does kind of and <laughs> You see also another knight that doesn't really live up to the code, isn't honest, isn't really sworn in the traditional sense to his lord. He's just taking his benefits and doing the bare minimum. And you start to understand why people have opinions of hedge knights that they have. So Bennis isn't a good dude. Yeah, I, you know, Dunk has at least placed Sarah Arlen on this pedestal so that we view Sarah Arlen, Penny Tree, as the the top standard level, the standard that a hedge knight should live at, right? Mm -hmm. And we really didn't get the other side of it because in the hedge knight, um, he was the hedge knight amongst a bunch of other knights right <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. lords and people like that the Baylor Breakspears and the Baratheons and the other Targaryens and, and all these big high and mighty names yeah but now we're getting down to the gritty aren't we yeah. and uh George has given us this character with a great name Bennis mm -hmm. we'll get <laughs> Bennis <the> Brownfield <laughs> We yeah. get Bennis Brown stench later on in the story. They call him that, which is just beautiful. Yeah, what a wonderful name, Bennis Brown stench. It's great, Bennis Brown shield. That he gets that name because he has names for others as well, and we'll get to some of those. Uh, Please, yes, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you know that's a it's a the way you said that is uh, makes an interesting transition to a point I wanted to make. You said we get here down into the nitty gritty of you know what it means maybe to be a knight. And 
also the nitty gritty of you know you're we're not at a big tournament with all the big lords we're out yeah honestly mm-hmm. frankly in the middle of fucking nowhere i yep. had a sock and Seuss mapas outlined for this and then and i went you got nothing for it buddy i went and tried to find it and like i did find a, a little theory and and uh image that has a place where it could be it's not where i imagined it was before i found that uh but you know it's not it's not even on the maps and i I imagine george did that with intent this is a story that could happen simultaneously all over the kingdom in these little regional squabbles right and it's just a couple of dudes a couple of dude knights that are trying to make it in the world right yeah i love it about that that's one of the things i love about this story it gives us a, a couple clues, right? We know that they were marshals of the North March. Well, it says the Osgrays yes. were marshals of the North March once. So we know they're probably at the north end of the reach. Um, Golden Grove, who's their liege lord, is kind of in that northwest quadrant. Yes. So we, we get kind of an idea of where it is. But yeah, where it is isn't so important. You're right. It's, right. it's the point that this could be anywhere. And I wrote that same note down too. It's like... We talked about how the Hedge Knight is different than A Song of Ice and Fire, and it feels like it's kind of narrowing it down, that they're not dealing with the whole problems with all of the kingdom and stuff. They're just there at this one tournament in Ashford through the eyes of this one Hedge Knight. But this seems to narrow it down even further, right? Yeah. Like we're we're just like a, an upside-down cone <laughs> where A Song of Ice and Fire is the top part. And God. it just narrows down. Yeah, and then it goes to the Hedge Knight, and now it's the Sworn Sword, which is middle of nowhere, squabbles between this, uh, basically a landed knight at this point. He's not even a lord in this tiny little tower fighting over water during drought season. Yeah. Right? And that's that's cool. I love that George gets us down into the nitty-gritty of that with names that we've barely ever heard before in the A Song of Ice and Fire world, and yet it still feels familiar, uh, but given us a whole different side of it. It's it's almost a little bit like uh, you got very passionate when we talked about Rogue One, right? And how mm. it's like the story of some of those background character guys that you never hear about. They're not the big heroes that, you know, the, the Hans and the Lukes getting medals and stuff. They're mm-hmm. the unsung guys. And, uh, you know, in the end of, you know, for Rogue One, they ended up being unsung guys that did a huge thing. And um, so maybe it's not the same exact example, but, uh, you know, this is just a very, it's a simple story. We said it about Hedge Knight too. This is a simple story, but this is even yep. simpler, right? There's mm-hmm. no pageantry here. So, yeah, I, I, I really liked it about, it's one of the things I really like about the Sword Sword. And there's not a lot of, at least in this first half, there's not a lot of like intrigue no. or stuff like that. It's just very simple. There's no water. We need to get the water back. Yeah. Plot. <laughs> yeah. It's and 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 frankly, the first half of this uh, of of the book, which we're covering in this episode, uh, you know, you can call it the blue balls episode if you want. There's not a lot of payoff here. It's a lot of setup. You know, it's it's a lot of kind of backstory a little bit you get a little bit of some interesting tidbits and we'll get there but um yeah this is this is very much set up and uh, not a lot of payoff yet mm-hmm. um one thing you do get and I, I mentioned a little bit already you know dunk is 
wanting the good life in the Hedge Knight of, you know, being in service to a lord or, you know, to a, to a you know, in this case, I guess it's a landed knight, but it's not all it's cracked up to be, right? It's, uh, you know, this life isn't great. Sleeping on a straw pallet, you know, we got to work real hard to get a bath, um, you know, which we'll get to that too. No but, wonder uh, Bennis doesn't ever take one. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. You I know. complain about having to make a baked potato. Is... That is rough. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it just, it, it gives you a sense that, like, e- even the life he's after isn't great for a hedge knight, right? Yeah, and the whole story starts with them just going on a trip to get some wine yeah. and bring it back. <laughs> a couple casks of wine. Yeah. Like, real, real exotic, exciting living going on. Yeah, and they can't find it in, in uh, Little Dosk. So they have to mm-hmm. go to Big Dosk, regular Dosk, which is, you know, hilarious. <laughs> it, it did intrigue me, though, uh, you know, especially the, the map drawing that I saw. They indicate that, that uh, Little Dosk had been raid, raided by Ironborn. Yeah. It's like really far inland. Right. Yeah, I was actually going to, maybe this is a nice transition to... I wanted to remind our friends listening of kind of the state of the kingdom right now. Oh, please do. Right? So you've got... And remind remind your podcasting partner, too. (laughs) I'm sure that you could speak to it just fine. Uh, But the state of the kingdom under King Ares I. Now, you'll recall that we just got through... We talked about it in the last episode. We had the Great Spring Sickness. Yeah which occurred shortly after the events of the Hedge Knight, which wiped out not only the king, but uh, King Daron, but also both of his heirs, which were the sons of Baylor Breakspear, who had died in the tourney at Ashford, um, those two heirs being Valar and Mataris. Uh, they were both killed as well in the sickness, which meant the f- kingdom fell to... Um, Daron's other next-born son, Ares, who yes. happened to be very bookish, right? Yeah, that's his second son, yeah? Yes. Um, and so many people are blaming Bloodraven, who Ares did do something well in that he named, well, I guess well is in the eye of good and well is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, he named Bloodraven his hand. Uh, Ares seemed completely uninterested in ruling. Uh, He seemed uninterested in siring a child. There's no evidence that he even consummated his marriage with his wife. And uh, he just wanted to read up on things and not do a whole lot. One thing they were worried about was blackfires, right? Five out of the seven sons of Damon Blackfire had survived and were over in Essos with Bittersteel. And Bloodraven in particular was very worried about them coming back to cause more trouble. So they kept their eye focused on the east, and they kept their troops kind of uh, localized in King's Landing and roundabout, preparing for an attack if it were to come, and they left the rest of the kingdom open. And they actually kind of did that on purpose. And Dagon Dagon Greyjoy, who's like Victarion Greyjoy's 
friggin' hero. He yeah. is the Wedge Antilles to Dag- to uh, Victorian Greyjoy. But Dagon Greyjoy decided he was going to start raiding, and uh, he he raided down the Mander River there and went clear down into the Reach, apparently. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there was so with the drought and people getting um, desperate because there was just no water. Plus, not having protection from from the kingdom, uh, it was kind of a rough time if you happen to be kind of, especially on the west side of Westeros, far away from King's Landing. Um, yeah. Wouldn't have happened if Baylor Breakspear was around, I'll tell you that. Whew, yeah. Blame Dunk for that one. Um, yeah. Reading a little write-up by, uh, by our friend Something Like a Lawyer who said, uh, I wrote down one of his quotes, and he said, Ares was the first king to make intentional failure to perform his kingly duties a standing policy. (laughs) It's almost like they intentionally ignored protecting the rest of the realm to focus on the black fires in the east. That's unfortunate. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the drought's not helping. Mm -hmm. Um, This... It's interesting that the seasons um we we talked about this a little bit during our hangout with with chase uh one of our blood riders who has a theory about the seasons and stuff that um hopefully he'll explore a little bit more but uh this it was a very short spring right this is this this story takes place a little over a year after the hedge night right a year and a half maybe. Yeah, uh, and it's about two eleven, and and the uh, hedge night occurred around two o nine. And we're already deep into summer, so a spring of you know we don't know exactly how all the seasons really work, um, but uh, that spring was was not an overly long one before it jumped right into summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, you wonder if the seasons are mostly summer and winter, with shorter spring and fall seasons. It's yeah, with those those latter two just kind of be in quick transitionary periods right right just kind of how it works in parts of the world you know like ours yeah Yeah, i suppose so i mean well i don't know utah for sure has four seasons but there are Mm -hmm. there are places that don't really you're right um anyway the summer here it's almost like a character the heat um it's it's literally yeah i mean it's literally like the fourth or fifth most important character in in this book um did you did you ever see remind did you ever see the movie Do the Right Thing? Uh it's no. A, it's a Spike Lee joint. Mm. And uh it's it uh, what made me think about it was this this whole heat thing. It's the whole backdrop of the story is just based on how hot it is and how it just kind of it just kind of beats on you the whole time, right? And just kind of it just creates this this anxiousness and and frustration throughout the story and ends up being part of kind of spoilers for that movie from the eighties again. Uh, you know, a, an environment in which it's easy for all of this other stuff to spill over just because Mm. it's pressing down on you. It's kind of oppressive feeling of, of the heat. Yeah. It's relentless, right? Yeah. Hmm. Last uh, Spike Lee film I saw was Black Klansman. Loved it. I did not see it. I think it's probably coming out on video soon. Yeah, I remember hearing. Um, I remember hearing good things. 
I'm so old school. Coming out on video soon. <laughs> Go pick it up from the Blockbuster. Uh-huh. But I got to get there before 4 o'clock on Friday or else they'll all be gone. Is that uh, going to make it to Laserdisc? Or? You know, I don't know. If so, I'll have to dust off the old Laserdisc player. Yeah. I don't know if I can afford a Laserdisc. Not anymore, you can't. Nope. <laughs> what did you think of these? Uh, this whole outlaw bit at the beginning with the cages and the... Do you have any thoughts on well, this? Uh, well, I do find it interesting that, again, we get an, another story of Duncan Egg starting out with a death. Mm. The hedge knight began with him burying Arlen, and now here... It starts with them passing uh, these two guys shoved into a cage together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it could be symbolic of the story about how when conditions are tough, people are going to practice survival of the fittest, and mm-hmm. they're going to do whatever they can to survive. In other words, the man trying to oh. eat the other man, um, symbolic of... Uh, this water that's apparently being stolen yeah. and how they they have to know that stealing the water isn't going to be good for the other people that are needing the water but by george we need this water and we got to survive so we're going to get to it first and take it right mm. yeah i love that i didn't i didn't put that all together a symbol of the times and how people are cracking down you know for the survival mm-hmm. component and mm-hmm. and perhaps uh, foreshadowing for the fact that something very similar is going to happen with, um, you know, with this whole water business. I like that. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. What did you pull out of it? No, nothing. That's why I was asking. I, I, it felt mm. out of place. It almost just felt like a an opportunity for us to play the crossroads again. Um, <laughs> and yes, uh, finally, <laughs> it's been so long. Uh, and I didn't. I didn't know. You know, Egg being obsessed with outlaws. I, I, See, it just kind of seems shoehorned in there, but I really like what you've, what you've given. Yeah, well, it does give an idea of of the state of the kingdom and gives Duncan Egg an opportunity to converse and fill us in on the state of the kingdom a little bit. Uh, but I, it was kind of interesting to hear Egg's interest in the outlaws, um, and you have to wonder, you know, throughout this whole thing, you wonder how is being with dunk out here on the road going to influence him in the future and uh you know what how would his life and his education and his interests be different if he were just back at home in the comforts of summer hall yeah rather than rather than out here on the road so it's interesting to consider yeah um so they encounter these peasants who've built the dam yeah brave little peasants yes i wrote this courageous yeah, yeah. they kind of don't back down uh-huh i mean like in the in in the hedge night you get dunk even a quote-unquote knight uh you know and certainly this has to do with individual personalities as well but he's a knight and he's still very much kind of bowing down if you will to those above him right Mm-hmm. And these peasants don't, they're dealing with knights here. And they're just like, I don't care. Yeah. Which a lot of times you don't see 
peasant, I, small folk being that committed. Right. Supposed to do like, it's right. not their job to defend the dam. They're just there to build it. Yeah. Yeah. They they kind of they do see you don't get a lot, but it, it feels like they kind of like being, you know, of cold moat, of you yeah, know Web, Weber that. Weber Weber small folk. Um, and and maybe it is just a sense of we need the water, and we know we need the water, so we're going to defend the dam. Yes. But uh, yeah, I do be. sense a certain amount of loyalty as well. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get to that water comparison in a minute uh, with the next section, I think. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, very interesting. You got anything else for this uh, this section? Uh, no, I'm ready to go to section All right, two. Let's do it. Section two: the Osgrey Militia. Okay, so if say Winterfell is my house. Just and I do mean to say Winterfell. If Winterfell is my house, Standfast, the seat of House Osgrey, is like my kid's jungle gym in the backyard. Uh, no more than a tower house. Standfast is a patchwork of old and older, as it's slowly fallen into disrepair and been repaired over the ages. Uh, it did at least stand as a reasonably defensive position. It sits atop a hill where it can see and be seen, for, and it's got a single narrow path that leads to a single door, which can only be reached by going up about 20 feet of steps. And then a portion of those steps uh, were something of a drawbridge that could be lifted up and away during times of attack. So uh, anxious to recount what had happened with Bennis. Dunk arrives back at Standfast with Benis in tow and asks for Sir Eustace, who's been down in the Blackberries. In other words, he's visiting the graves of his three sons and his uh, uh, all who had died on the red grass field 15 years ago and who'd been buried among the bushes along with Eustace's late wife. Duncan Bennis find the old knight, though, in his chambers, amongst piles of old dusted and rusty treasures, shields, bits of armor, flags, all remnants of better days when the Osgreys had been apparently styled Marshals of the North March, answering only to House Gardener in their heyday. So as they recount what happened at the dam, Eustace seems sad, but later resolved. This cannot be borne, sirs. This woman will not have my water. She will not have my checky water. Uh, Bennis replies that the dam is sturdy, It's not something that will be easily torn down, even with a dozen men working at it, and more to protect them as they work at it. Speaking of protecting and fighting, Dunk begins, uh, and then he proceeds to tell the story of what Bennis did at the dam. Not your smartest decision, Bennis, Osgrey quivers, claiming that Lady Weber, the Red Widow, had murdered three of her husbands, and all of her brothers had somehow died standing as they were between her and her castle. She'd been known to punish any that displeased her, and certainly Bennis would not escape her wrath. Dunk goes into a bit of problem-solving mode, offering to go to their liege lord, Lord Rowan, to beg his assistance. No, Eustace replies, Rowan is related through marriage to the Webbers. He'll be of no help. No, if this is to be settled, they're going to have to settle it alone. Sir Duncan... Eustace commands, go to the villages and round up every able-bodied man you can. 
the woman will soon find out that the Chucky lion still has claws. So there were three small villages on Osgrey's land, and just about that many able-bodied men in each of them. And I use the term able-bodied loosely. <laughs> uh, in the end, Dunk is able to come away with eight men. One was at least 50, one had weepy eyes, all had lice, one was a lackwit. Two had actually fought with Sir Eustace in the Blackfire Rebellion, but that was as small folk and ages ago besides. Well, 15 years ago. Uh, having no armor, they train with spears of sharpened wood and shields of woven branches, uh, learning to thrust and parry and to stand in formation and where to stick the pointy end. That all comes easily enough. But <laughs> all of them either fall or flee with nary a fight when Dunk decides to give them a little test by coming at them with a wooden sword dressed in his armor. Oh, they go to bed that night tired and sore, but actually a bit enthusiastic at the joys of soldiers' life as described by Bennis, principally the about loot and women. But Duncan Egg know better. These men don't stand a chance against the knights that Sir Eustace would send. Egg broaches this very subject later as he's helping draw Sir Duncan's bath. It's stupid, Egg says sending them to fight Eustace's battle. That's not for you to say, Dunk replies. It's their duty to go to war when Sir Eustace summons them, and to die if need be. Well, if we use my boot, Egg suggests. No, Dunk cuts him off. Absolutely not. Only if and when we are in the most dire of need will we use your boot. We still don't know what the boot is, by the way, guys. As far as anyone knows... A uh, young Aegon Targaryen returned to Summerhall with his father following the tragedy at Ashford. Remember that, Egg. That's it. Final. So later, as Dunk lays atop Standfast's roof to sleep under their stars, he recalls seeing a falling star that night before the tourney at Ashford began. Remember that, guys, just two episodes ago? Uh, thinking it would bring him luck, he'd had Tansel painted on his shield. After what had happened, however, at Ashford, he really hoped no stars fell this night. Yeah. So, we'll see this Checky lion has claws. <laughs> <clears throat> and I guess you'd say it's got to stand on its hind leg. So you could say a lion has ten claws. <laughs> which is exactly the number of men he has. Go scad! Well counted. Yeah, I can count. Um, Eight plus Duncan Bennis. Yeah, I, I mean, consider I'm, that. I'm not counting Egg, I suppose, but um, yeah, yeah, Dunk's not letting him fight. I didn't think about it until I was yeah. listening to your summary. Yeah. Uh, well met. Eight, eight men. I mean, that is that is not a militia. It's a D and D party. That's. Uh, <laughs> it, I mean, it really speaks to. A little bit about what we said already. Uh, just just how of a of a small, you know, uh, inside affair this really is. Mm -hmm. This is affecting you know twenty families or something, right? I mean, it's he does not have a lot of families in his area here. Nope. But it's still twenty people that need water. You know, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, the way Eustace talks about House Osgray, they were a big deal back in the day, weren't they? Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. Um, claims they once controlled four castles. House Osgray did. Uh, the chief of them being Coldmoat. Uh, it appears their fortunes declined, especially after the uh, Field of Fire. Yeah. But, um, and they were reduced at some point to landed knights. Now, landed knights, for those who may not quite remember, these are a little bit more than than like hedge knights or even knights who are in the service to another lord. These are knights that have been granted land and a keep upon that land. They have small they can have small folk to work that land and they can even bring on like men at arms and uh, members of their household who are employed in kind of almost a military or a defensive position. Um, however, they may not deliver justice. Yeah, uh, they must appeal to the liege lord, which we see in the story. They have to, they have to try to go to Lord Rowan for help, or in this case, figure it out themselves. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and uh, you mentioned the fall from grace for the Osgreys. Um, you know, Eustace has taken it hard, um, but it's it says a lot about who he is that. And, and where he is on accepting um, accepting reality that he mm-hmm. still demands to be called a lord even though he isn't one yeah um, this is a guy that doesn't want to I don't think accept his place in the world now and you know my my dad uh, he's he's having a little bit of a rough time health wise um mm. And uh, he hurt his back recently, like, to go along with seemingly an an endless number of little ailments that are kind of stacking up to make his life pretty difficult at the moment. But um, it it actually, like, this past weekend put him on crutches for a time. Oh, man. But he doesn't, he doesn't, he went, he had an eye appointment uh, the other day, and he didn't want the doctor to see him on crutches. So he toughed out the walk without them from the parking lot. Oh my gosh. And hurt himself worse. And of course. I said to him, I'm like, Dad, I know this is hard and you are a man with integrity and you you know, you want respect and but you've got you can't deny the reality of this situation. You need the crutches. You know, like mm-hmm. Eustace is not doing himself any good by demanding himself be called a lord and by sitting in his room and reminiscing about the past, right? Yep, which is where he's lost in, absolutely. And, I don't know, it just, that scene where they first encounter him really just kind of, it paints, it's 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 amazing work that George does because it tells you so much about this person just by how they encounter him and what he's doing when they meet him in the first mm-hmm. the first time we see him it's and amazing. the things it's he talks about right yes the context that gives you for for this whole story is amazing it's such a good job by george 
Yeah, he tells the story. I didn't do it and for the sake of brevity in my summary, but he tells the story of one Wilbert Osgray, who was an ancestor of his, who, you know, did all this great stuff and defeated the Lannisters in battle, you know, and and that's where he's still living. And I think that's why he defaults to, we're going to fight. Yeah. We're going to show that the Chucky Lion still has claws because I come from the same stock as Wilbert Osgray. Yeah. And so here we go. Yeah, Wilbert Wilbert ends that battle by killing uh I think the head of the Lannister house uh through George's favorite mechanism underneath the arm in the armor, right? So yeah. it's George's favorite uh kill spot, I think. Um under the armpit there. But um yeah, you're right. He's he's uh he's defaulted to um you know, she will not take my water. She will not have my water. Mm-hmm. And I uh the 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 episode title here is a uh a little a little homage to Hamlet. Um and I'll just just this little quick part whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take mm. arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. Now, Hamlet is talking about suicide, most likely, uh, in that passage. But, uh, and, and not immediately for himself, but just the, the idea of suicide and what it means to just give up on life that's throwing all this crap at you all the time. It's in never-ending slings and arrows just chucked at you. And here we have Eustace who has basically had arrows chucked at him with this water thing. It is it, it is suffering against his pride. It's making his pride mm-hmm. suffer. It's actually making him, his small, small folk suffer. Um, and whether he takes arms against them, right? Or not. Can he, should he just suffer it and sit back and be like, I can't do anything about it? Or should he take arms against them? Because if he does that... He's sacrificing his small folk and his knights. I think it's pretty clear in this selection that you, that you've covered here that they can't compete. Right? Yep. This is not going to go well for them, and uh, he's basically choosing. You know, in, in this in this malaise of the past, where he's remembering the greatness of their house, then being confronted with this damage to his character and his pride. Uh, now, like you said, resorting back to well, I have I have to do something. I have to be Wilfred, or what was that his name, Wilfred? Um, Wilbert. Wilbert. I have to be Wilbert. I have to do something. But he's, you know, death. The undiscovered country. I mean, he's, that's where he's sending these people, right? Absolutely. And it, hmm, you're absolutely right. I love it. This is further narrowing of the story, right? It, at one point, Egg, during the conversation when Egg's telling him how stupid this whole thing is, um, Dunk talks about how a lot of people died at Redgrass Field and they were people just like this. And Egg yeah. says, that was different. That was war. Yeah. And dunk says kind of a kind of explains this whole story he says so is this it's the same thing only smaller exactly what we've been saying yeah you're right right and 
that's what makes this story kind of so interesting is that it shouldn't be this interesting. Yeah. It's just two insignificant, uh, two houses in an insignificant part of Westeros fighting over what amounts to an insignificant stream, right? In the grand scheme of things, it seems crazy that Eustace is going to send small folk to their death over something like this. Yet, so much for these people depends on that little stream, right? Yes. It doesn't mean anything to us, but it means everything to them. Yeah. And yeah, every yeah, you're right. It's all and kind of relative how this all works. You said a few things there I want to respond to. So first of all, uh it's amazing that we care so much. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, no. No. Uh-huh. Because why we care about stories is because of the little these little details, these little things that make exactly. life real. It strikes these, a chord. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so mm-hmm. that is why it's interesting. And then I was like, but why do we love a song of ice and fire so much because it's so broad? But it also isn't broad because it mm-hmm. also does take the moment. It's it's like a zooming microscope, right? In and yep. out, in and out. You know, the scientific microscope where it's like times 50, times 10, times 50, times 10. And you get the different views of, you know, what you're looking at. You get different views in A Song of Ice and Fire of these very, you know, intricate and insular character moments. And then you also get this broad picture, right, of, of these overarching relationships. This is much more the 50 times view, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I think, I I love it. It's great. It's wonderful. And it really sets, it really shows why Dunk is is a hero and a protagonist. Mm. Because he gets it. He gets why this is important to them. And he gets the value of life. And and we'll see that, I think, in the next section that you're going to summarize. Yeah. How concerned he is over lives. And we talked about it in the last episode during the tourney at Ashford and how when Prince Makar is getting beat upon by Baylor and Baratheon that he, that that's when he thinks I can't have any more people die. I've got to end this now with Arion. Dunk gets that. Uh, he just kind of understands the value of life mm-hmm. and why these little things are so important. And I love that about him. Yeah. I think that's what kind of makes him, if he's not really an anointed knight or an official knight, he's a true knight in the sense of the word and uh this is great stuff man yeah this is a great story one one of the other things you had said is is just about the water specifically and what the conflict is and dunk i don't know whether it's because he understands the value like you're talking about or whether he gets lucky but he said he says it very clearly when he goes to round up the small folk he doesn't he doesn't play to their loyalty to sir eustace he doesn't play to any big you know thing he just says they've taken your water Every human knows you need water to live. It's almost it's almost like those simple words. The small folk are like, "Oh, well, yeah, we have to do something about this, right? Mm-hmm. They they'll die without it." So, it's it's like the best explanation of the series in its simplicity and also its ability to drive action. Right. Yeah, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Tyrion's uh, rallying of the troops and. Clash of Kings, right? When he's going to lead them all out the doors in that charge. I don't remember the exact words, but it's kind of the same thing of if we don't kill them, they're going to come in here and kill us. Mm -hmm. So it was their brave men outside our doors. What is it? Let's go kill them. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some some really good stuff between between Dunk and Egg in this chapter, really showing Egg's compassion for humanity. Um, you know, just in general, you know, he's in a day and a half or whatever. He's he's come to like care about these people, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot in the last episode about, uh, well, I kind of flew off the handle at Targaryens, right? <laughs> I kind of freaked out about them and like how bloodthirsty and evil they are. We got um, a little scat tankerous there. Yeah. I did. I really did. And, uh, but you know, here's egg showing compassion almost immediately for people that he knows nothing about that he, um, that, uh, you know he has no vested interest in outside of this little this little story and uh it's nice to see he does he does he does show a little umbrage to the fact that he has to serve small folk at one point um mm-hmm. you know and dunk kind of says yeah you, you've got to and uh i thought it was an interesting parallel with Aegon, um Aegon the sixth sorry um ah. and how he's you know, working on the river and learning to mend nets and do laundry and do all these things and learn what it's like to be, you know, one of the small folk so that when he leads them, he knows what that's like. And Egg gets mm-hmm. some of that here, which, um, you know, I think, I think is an interesting parallel. Yeah. Yeah, you hope that that learning goes to good use. Um, on that note, Dunk... And him have a discussion about naming a horse, right? Yeah. And how some knights won't name their horses because then they don't want to uh, have too strong of a connection with that horse if slash when it dies in battle. And he says, but, you know, Sir Arlen always said that, but then he always went and named his horses anyways. Um, So the point being made that naming the horse gives them significance it gives them individuality. And, uh, you know, later in this, I also didn't cover, cover this in my summary. Maybe I didn't write a very good summary. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big section you had. Um, I but, didn't do you uh, any favors. Egg ends up giving nicknames to these different these different uh, small folk who are training. Yes. And he, he comes up with a system for naming them after the crops that they grow yes. in their villages. <laughs> so there's the barley corns and there's the melons and there's the wheat. And, um, I think those are the three, uh, just because a bunch of them are all named Watt. Apparently that's a popular <laughs> name, name there. That end. Yeah. yeah. In the North and Marsh. so it's almost like he did it just because he did it. But what that's really showing us seeing it from our perspective is the naming of the horse, right? He, he cares enough to give them significance to make them into individuals that he cares about. And that's that's a step in, in the right direction, especially for the 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 Targaryen, the run of the mill Targaryen that we see and that you got so scared Tancrous about last yeah. episode. Right. Yeah. But Bennis also names a few of them. So does that mean he cares too? <laughs> he cares more than he thinks. <laughs> he might. Uh, mm. he gives my favorite name. Treb. Yeah. Treb is given to, I think it's one of the Watts, uh, yeah. who admits that he's pretty good at throwing rocks. Uh-huh. <laughs> because of Treb. For no, I said it was a trebuchet. <laughs> uh, 
So yeah. that's that's my favorite small folk. Who's your favorite small folk that they get? I don't know that I have a favorite, man. All right. We'll let that play out. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> big Big Rob seems like a lot of fun. Yes. So. He's yeah. Oh, poor Big Rob. Yeah. Uh what else you got in this section? Um, I don't have much more in this section. I've got let's see, I got one more. Ooh. Actually I might too. Okay. You wanna go ahead or you wanna go? Um I just well I found uh, just a fun parallel um, where Dunk is talking to Egg kind of on the same lines that we talked about and how Dunk needs to learn to serve these people, right? Mm -hmm. And Or Egg needs to learn to serve them. Um, And he talks about how a man has his pride no matter how lowborn he he may be. You would seem just as lost and stupid if you were back in their villages, Egg. And if you doubt that, go hoe a row and shear a sheep. And tell me the names of all the weeds and wildflowers in Watts Wood. And that reminded me, clear back in Game of Thrones, of our one of our favorite characters, Donald Noy. And that conversation he had with Jon Snow. Oh, yeah. When uh, Jon's getting used to all his new friends up at the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's kind of kicking their butts, right? When, when they're in the practice yard together. And Donald Noy kind of puts him in his place. Says, now think on this, boy. None of these others... Have ever had a master at arms until Sir Alliser. Their fathers were farmers and wagonmen and poachers, smiths and miners. Uh, what they know of fighting, they learned between decks in the alleys of Old Town and Lannisport, in brothels and taverns. They may have clacked a few sticks together before they came here, but I promise you, not one in twenty was ever rich enough to own a real sword. So, how do you like the taste of your victories now, Lord Snow? Uh, a valuable lesson that John and Egg both kind of learn in their own way maybe a little bit more severely for john yeah and i imagine john i can't remember exactly but i imagine john kind of internalizes his reaction a little bit and Mm -hmm. takes him a minute to get there egg gets there immediately he's like oh great i'll have the mask i'll have them show me these things that sounds valuable let's do it yeah Yeah, like (laughs) and then i can show them some things i can show them some stuff that's great it's a great reaction And, and the kind of reaction a young boy should have right a boy of 10 i agree Right, and it's mm-hmm. uh, really well done. Uh, I, I did love that part of the chapter too. Um, the only other thing I got is uh, actually two. I love the draw. You mentioned Rob the Lackwit. I love the drawing of him, where he's standing in the line with the with the soldiers that they're kind of holding the little makeshift weapons that they brought with them. It just looks <laughs> great art. It's such great art. It's such a good great drawing. Art. Uh, but the other note I have is more important, I suppose. Um, the, I was shocked when I read, you know, they've had this day of, of training and battle where, you know, they've got to have blistered hands and they were building spears and Dunk came at them with a wooden sword and terrified them and all these things. (laughs) And yet their spirits, like you said in your summary, are high. They're excited. And I, I, Uh I've thought back to the broken man speech and oh and how how he, he Seth Maribald indicates that uh I've probably forgotten all this now I might have a few pieces left in my memory here but uh that it's the greatest adventure most of them will ever know they mm. go they go off with eager hearts right and that's that's these guys and you even get in in the in the Seth Maribald speech you don't think really of of the veterans at all 
you think he's talking mostly just about young people. At least it feels that way. But two of these people are veterans, and they saw the horrors of war, and they're still like, yeah, dude, totes worth it. I I got some boots that don't fit and a knife. (laughs) Those boots are on my wall, and it was awesome. You should have seen some of the chicks that followed us around, man. It was awesome. Like, I can't believe, like, it really paints, I don't know if George intended to do this or not, but to me it paints what a bleak existence being a peasant in this world really is. That they're willing to risk death, literally their lives, for some boots that don't fit and a, a knife. Like, it's crazy. They're excited to do it again. Yeah. Anyway, that's all. Mm-hmm. All right. Nothing further, Your Honor. Shall I move on? All right. Yeah, let's do it. What dreams may come. Dunk dreamed. He was burying Chestnut, his old friend, collapsing after the long journey through the Dornish desert on the way to Vaith. The other knights were laughing at him for wasting this, his time and energy, but Dunk couldn't abandon his friend. Sir Arlen and Baylor Breakspear make an appearance in this dream also, judging Dunk for crying for the old Stott, and not for themselves, who had such a huge impact on his life. Even Valar shows up to chastise Dunk for living in place of his father, the one-time future hope of Westeros. But he kept digging, he and Egg trying to move the sand which keeps spilling back into the grave, and all of a sudden the grave wasn't empty at all, but contained Big Rob, dead from a belly belly wound. When he looked up, more of his peasant militia was also regarding him from dead eyes and smiling with bleeding mouths. Sir Benis informs him that they are all dead, and that he needs to keep digging graves, a grave for each of them, including one for young Egg. Dunk yells at Egg to run, but the grave collapses collapses in on them, burying them alive. In the morning, they tried to make a shield wall with the militia, but it resembled a track meet instead, the wall failing to stand up to Sir Duncan's charge on thunder, and thunder trampling their eschewed weapons under his hooves as every member of the militia fled in terror. That frustrates Sir Benis, and Dunk too, though Dunk's mind really is on his dream. So much of it was wrong. Chestnut had died on that trip to Vaith, but they had not even buried him, and he hadn't cried, though he had wanted to do both bury him and cry. All the rest was right out, none of it happened. The thought of these men dying in battle leads Dunk to a very uncomfortable discussion. Dunk pleads to Sir Eustace that they do not have time to train these men well enough, but there must be some other way. Lord Eustace considers this for a time. It comes to me <clears throat> that in days gone by, you could pay a man a blood price if you had slain one of his animals or peasants. So Eustace is willing to pay a grand sum of four silvers to the Lady of Coldmoat for the insult if she would just take down the damn dam. But Sir Eustace cannot go himself. He swore a vow that he would never return to Coldmoat unless it was to take possession. This oath stemming from both the murder of his man Dake and also to slights done him by old Lord Weber when Sir Eustace proposed a marriage pact many years ago. So Dunk volunteers, and Sir Eustace is grateful and hopeful that Dunk can save Sir Benis and get the dam removed just by his sheer intimidating presence. Dunk bathes again that night, much to Egg's dismay. As they prep the water, they talk about Dunk's plan to tell the Red Widow that she must take the dam down. Or to ask her, or... Oh jeez, this isn't going to go well. Dunk would much rather fight the behemoth Castellan of, of Coldmoat, Sir Lucas Inchfield, than treat with the Red Widow. Egg's advice? Speak gallantly... Rescue her, or sing her a song. 
not-so-helpful advice. Oh, and don't eat anything since it's common knowledge that the Red Widow poisoned her husband's. She also sacrifices her children to demons, in case you were wondering. Egg insists on coming with Dunk, of course, but Dunk wants to keep him at Standfast. Safe. As he doesn't know what danger might await him at Coldmoat, stating, You aren't going, and that's the end of it. But Egg gets the better of him the next morning, convincing Sir Eustace that it is always more impressive when a squire attends a knight. Sir Eustace, who has provided both Dunk and Egg with Osgrey clothing for the journey, will also go with them for a time. As they pass the blackberry bushes where his sons are buried, we get the drawn-out story of the Battle of the Redgrass Field. The battle costs Sir Eustace all of his sons, Sir Arlen, his nephew and squire, and many, many others that day. It was very well. It was a battle that very well almost went the other way. Briefly, Damon Blackfire was laying waste to everyone he faced that day. With the ancestral sword Blackfire, no one could stand before him. But when he paused to take care of a fallen foe, Bloodraven and his raven's teeth rained arrows down upon them from a ridge, slaying Damon's twin sons and Damon himself. Bittersteel's battle with Bloodraven and Baylor's hammer crushing Bittersteel against Megalor's anvil came well after, but to hear Sir Eustace tell it, the battle was over when Damon fell. It was Bloodraven with his bow and his sorcery that won the day, and he rules the kingdom now as well as Hand of King Ares. They make their way into Wattswood, the shade offering some respite from the sweltering heat. Sir Eustace laments that this wood used to be full of game and extended on both sides of the stream before the Webbers cleared the land on their side. And then they come across the carcass of a tree cat. Don't know what to make of it. Sir Eustace turns around abruptly. Come home with my water, sir. And that's the end of this section. Eustace, you're a friggin' wuss, dude. Expound on that, if you will. You got people that depend on you, man. I don't care about your stupid oath. You go to frickin' Coldmoat, and you do what you gotta do. Yeah. Says I. Yep. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, you know, going back a little bit to what, what we said in the earlier section there, um, he is condemning these men to death. And... You know, look, maybe he's got a lot of faith in Dunk, but as the Lord, quotes, Lord, of these people, he owes it to them. Mm -hmm. They must come to him when he summons them for war. He must protect them in every way possible beyond that. Right? That that's why everyone's so ticked at Ares and Bloodraven right now, is because they're not doing that either. Yeah, microcosm. They're leaving just the kingdom open in order to do something else, to protect themselves. Right. And that's what he's doing here. I hadn't thought about that before. That's a good point. That's what a really a, good point. Ugh. Yeah. Like, Sir Eustace, I know you're in a bad place, man. I know just mentally you're you're done. But, but it, stand up for these people. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it does. It goes back to what, what I said earlier. He is He's still living in the past in a sense of privilege and some sort of feeling that Coldmoat owes him, him something, right? Mm-hmm. That the Webbers owe him something or, you know, whatever. But, yeah, he's, he's, he's clearly not putting in the effort that he needs to put in. Yep. He was really excited about Duncan going. Yes. <laughs> he was. Yeah. 
where it wouldn't take – he talks about how – I can't remember if it was this or you know, maybe it's later in the book. But it's OK because it's not a spoiler. He says, I am no – what does he say? I'm no mean judge of character or something. Yes. Where anyone could know that Dunk is probably not the guy yeah. who you're going to send to politically negotiate something, even something as simple as the damming of a of a river. Yes. Right? He's not the one you want to send. Yeah. Better than Venice? Yes. But still, not the one you want to send. For a time at my company, uh, there was a joke about my willingness to just um, kind of like mm. go take a beating. Mm. And uh, one of the kind of higher ups at our company, would, the phrase was like, all right, give Scott his helmet. um because i would just kind of like go and like be the idiot that gets beat on for something that we did poorly and um Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of an inside joke that's mostly faded by now but um dunk doesn't realize it but that's kind of what he's volunteering for here yeah right he's volunteering to just go be the person to do this even though he's not suited to it even though it's not his fault even though the list goes on and on he's volunteering to do it and uh you know good on him but i don't i don't really even know if he knows how noble he's being here absolutely it's like we talked about last time dunk just or we talked about in the hedge night dunk finds himself in a situation and there's a certain acceptance that he has of the situation yes acceptance. i'm in this i'm in this situation And, you know, we talked about, I've talked about this Wallflower song a bunch of times, the three-way song about you're in the box, you can, you can climb out the top, you can try to get out the bottom, or you can burn the whole thing down. The burning the whole thing down doesn't really occur to Dunk. In this case, just running away and leaving. Never once does he think, you know what, Egg and I could just leave Sir Arlen's service and we could go somewhere else. Yeah. You know, he, he, same thing at Ashford. I could run away. He did think of it there. Con, he did, but he didn't do it. No. He recognized the cons. But in this, he doesn't even think about leaving Sir Eustace. Oh, he's sworn. He's owes, he owes yeah. le- leal service. Yeah. I'm in this situation. I don't feel comfortable being in it, but I got to do it. Yeah. So here we go. I guess I'll climb out, whether that's telling her to take it down or asking or singing to her or what jeez oh man uh. <laughs> no i'm really nervous yeah <laughs> can we talk about dunk's amount of guilt in this in this dream oh the dream how heartbreaking he's guilty about he feels guilty about everything yeah i mean i get the sense that he has dreams like this all the time arlen showing up baylor showing up you know, he's just, this is just on his brain all the time about right. what he's responsible for and how things went down. Yeah. Do, do you get that he, sense or do you, do you get the feeling it's rare? Um, I don't know that I thought about it too much, but I can see it happening often. It doesn't seem like when he woke up that he was super surprised that he had the dream. Yeah. Um, it's again what you said. I had a dream. This is a situation I'm in. I will do something about it. Right. 
Yeah. It's also, you get a glimpse, he's so noble and just good-hearted and good, but, you know, uh, the phrase is better angels of our nature, but I'll say the the not-so-better angels of our nature kind of come out in this dream, too. He, There's um, there's the trio there, Arlen, Baylor, and Valar, uh-huh. right, who are at the beginning of the, the dream and the guilt he feels over the three of them. And they say to him, we will dig no hole for you when you kill yourself with this folly. In deep sands, a, ma- a man must hoard his water. Basically, they're trying to say to him, that's his other side of his conscience, the not so good angel of his nature saying, helping people gets you nowhere, man, save yourself, you know? And, but yet he still feels like he's got to keep digging. I have to keep digging was the phrase that he used. In other words, I got to keep plugging away. What read the, read the bit about you must save your water again. In the deep sands, a man must hoard his water. Huh. I agree with your interpretation, but it's it's also interesting that this story is about water that's been stolen. Water. Yeah. And so they do need to do something to get it back because you must hoard your water. Or maybe it's saying... It's explaining away why they damned it in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. They... I think there's definitely some multiple kind of interpretations on different levels. Yeah. It's really interesting how this is all about water. And, uh, but I think for me, one that I took away from it is in this context, he's out in Dorne burying his, his horse, right? The sands and water being the thing that gives life that, uh, you must hoard kind of what keeps you alive. Yes. And, stuff so yeah you're right though it's interesting how there's that those multiple levels of significance this dream because that's also what the webbers are doing they're hoarding mm-hmm. the water that gives them life right yep yep it's almost like they're the ones saying this yeah yeah it's weird didn't think about that till now uh oh um what about this tree cat does this mean something to you? Oof. I get nothing out of that. I was puzzled. I was reminded, of course, of that opening, one of those opening sequences of Game of Thrones mm. with, uh, with the wolf coming across the wolf. Yeah. But there's obviously some some differences. It's not a perfect comparison. But I was reminded of it. Generally, it seems like coming across the dead animal means something ominous. Yeah. But... Uh, I don't have much more than that. A tree cat. I had not known there were any left in this wood. I wonder what killed him. That's it. That's the end of it. No one I answered. Thought... I tur- I will turn back here. Just continue on west. Blah, 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 blah. Well, see you later. I did wonder if maybe it was someone from Cold Moat who had come and killed the, the tree cat to, uh-huh. as almost like a sign of warning or something like to instill a bit of fear in them. Yeah. I don't know. But then there's a the question of how did they know that they'd take that route? Uh, yeah. I don't know that they were even going to come. I wonder if it's also just thinking about it while you were talking. Mm. I wonder if it's also just meant to show Sir Eustace's current feelings about death. He doesn't, 
He doesn't give it a whole lot of thought. I wonder what killed him. It's casual. It's almost like re- resigned, you know? Like mm-hmm. death is just that's that's a thing that comes for us and it's going to come for me too and oh, yeah, dead tree cat. You know? Like yep. like it's not it's not a mystery to be solved. It's not anything to think great things about. It's just yeah, death. I know what that's like. It's coming for me soon and whatever. There it, it is. It, it, it puts like a little that. bit of uh like it just puts a little bit of a backdrop around this decision to send these people out. He doesn't have anything to live for, mm-hmm. Sir Eustace. Death is maybe almost welcoming, right? Sure. He's indifferent about I it. I like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just something. Something's wrong about the tree cat thing. I don't. I don't get it. Um. No, I think that could be a good explanation for it, and that even a rare animal like apparently the tree cat in Watts Wood can't escape it yeah and yet the we have the fly earlier in the chapter too do you notice the fly it's just a little a oh little, that he swats on his hand yeah he, it's at it yeah. first it's flitting about and kind of bothering him or whatever it's climbing up his arm and then he just murders it on his hand uh-huh so that i don't know that does kind of show some fight and not resignation i don't know i don't know interesting yeah it he described George describes Eustace in very much a way that physically he still seems to be yeah he's kind of this they talk about how he's he's well groomed he yeah. keeps his hair short and stuff like that and he's also still got these very broad shoulders he he said that in his younger days he would have appeared to be the model of chivalry I think is yes. the phrase that he uses right yeah he's not and, something uh, he's not a disheveled mess yeah he's still very straight given up on life. and proud yeah, yeah. and it's like if he could just get past kind of this mental funk that he's in sir eustace yeah. could really be a force but um yeah life is really or just beat him something up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um i had a real problem with his blood price thing <laughs> Real I just problem. took a drink of dew and I almost spit it out because I agree. <laughs> my my biggest problem isn't what you might think. My biggest problem is, look, I love animals. Animals are great. Grew up with pets. Big fan. But they aren't... You can't equate them in a blood price where he's like, if you killed one of her animals or her small folk, you can just buy them out. Mm-hmm. I struggle. I struggle with this, Matt. I struggle also with the actual price of four silvers. That and then the four silvers. Why don't we take water away from you, even though you took it away from us? Uh huh. And I'm going to give you four silvers for that. Yeah. Sound good? We good? I have a little money laid by. Four silvers, Matt! Dude, you're off your rocker. This is what he has laid by. You've got eight men to fight, and you've got four silvers. Yep. Next idea. Okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Huh. Uh, you want to talk about the red grass field a little bit? Sure. I got a little reading here. Okay. It's not, it's not too long. A great battle is a terrible thing, the old knight said. But in the midst of blood and carnage, there is sometimes also beauty. Beauty that could break your heart. I will never forget the way the sun looked when it set upon the red grass field. Ten thousand men had died. 
and the air was thick with moans and lamentations. But above us the sky turned gold and red and orange. So beautiful it made me weep to know that my sons would never see it. Mm. It's beautiful, man. It truly is, uh, George. Beautifully done. Um, gosh, I don't know. Um, what do you think of this battle? The way Sir Eustace describes it. Well, I just love seeing it from the perspective of someone who was in it. Me too, and someone on the quote-unquote, you know, uh, oh, uh, someone, careful, <laughs> some, someone from the quote-unquote uh, losing side because he lost his whole family. Yeah, no kidding. Everyone's a loser on the red grass field. Yeah, because we always think of it, even in the Hedge Knight, here's more of that narrowing factor of what the Soren Sword does for this world for us. Even in the Hedge Knight, we're seeing it from the perspective of Makar, mm-hmm. from Baylor, from these big maneuvers that they pull mm-hmm. to to win the day. Yep. Uh, hammer and anvil type stuff. Large scope, small scope. Again, and, same thing. And it's a theme. Here, here we get this guy who takes his three kids to battle. And no matter the outcome, like you said, he loses because he's going home with no sons. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it makes it mean something. He says the battle, the battle ended uh, when when Damon was was uh, was felled. Uh, and you could maybe say Sir Eustace's life was ended. When That's his, when he was done. When this battle ended. Yeah. Because sure. despite the beauty that he's seeing, you know, he's got moments of beauty in his life like this, uh, you know, the sun on the field, but he's got nothing to live for anymore, right? Now, I mean, technically he did have uh, a daughter um, still there that, that died in the spring. Or was that in the mm-hmm. spring? Yep. So he did have, I guess he did have a daughter to live for still, but you you get the sense that this kind of crushed him right this battle yeah yeah he's not he, he stops moving forward right right and they you know you can see that by the way standfast has fallen into disrepair yep and yeah. yeah um you think they really uh that damon and uh the king's guard gwain corbray corbray uh really battled for an hour That's a long time to battle one dude. Let me tell you, Matt. I'm not in good physical condition. We've been through this many times. I have a punching right bag. Right there with you, buddy. I have a punching bag hanging in my garage. And if I hit that thing for a minute, I'm dead-ass tired. Now, I mm-hmm. know Damon Blackfire is not the scad. I know he's in good physical condition. But an hour in armor swinging a heavy sword, I don't believe it. I don't believe it when when we get these well just the explanations uh, of battle that take an hour. Yeah, and it being against the same guy, like, right? Sorry, oh, sure. Could the battle take an out. hour? Yes, the battle could take an hour, but not one guy. Mm-hmm. You can't fight for an hour without like some sort of rest. I don't believe yeah, it. And if they're both the warriors, they say they'd be. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like. 
I guess, I guess they're they're well matched. But yeah, you know, Sir Eustace seems to have a flair for the dramatic when it comes to the glories of war and battle and I, stuff like that. I think and, George and, has a flair for the dramatic because he does this all the time. Sure. He yeah. describes these battles and you're like, no, George. <laughs> but he does describe it from the perspective of individuals, right? Yeah. With personalities. And so he That's can true. always fall back on that. Well, they're just... They're an unreliable narrator. Yeah. 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 We always have the unreliable narrator excuse. Yes, we do. But if I were to do over-under on an hour, I'd go way under. Yeah. I mean, a minute is a long time to fight someone. Yeah. I'd maybe give them seven to ten minutes at the max. Yeah. And that's just because they're both so good at what they do. Yeah. Uh, I love how casually Egg talks about the dark arts in his family. Yeah. <laughs> they're, ta- they're talking about this this looming conversation with the Red Widow. And, uh-huh. and he's just like, oh, yeah, well, you know, Shiera and, uh, you know, Bloodraven. And I, they, they tried to give me a love potion once, and it's just like it's second nature to him. This this comes so easily. He's like, why, why would you struggle to talk to somebody about this? This is all what? regular. Yeah, my one sister gave me a love potion so I'd fall in love with her instead of my other sister. And it was just, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's just so normal to him, all this stuff. Yeah. And Dunk is just like, huh? They don't know. I'm sure she's not into any of that stuff. <laughs> oh, boy. What else you got? Uh, Not much. Okay. Not much. Um... Yeah, you can move on. Ready to go with the red spider? Let's do it, man. Our final section. Yep. Go for it. Okay, so Egg, ever the charmer, has some ideas now for how Dunk can win over the red widow. Gallant compliments are the key, he explains. How fair and beautiful she is, you know, stuff like that. And if she's not fair or beautiful, look for something that she is and stick with that. You know, well-shaped ears, pretty eyes that match the color of her gown. I mean, there's a number of things you can do, right? Well, unless she only has like one eye, then maybe go for something else. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Trying to come up, as you mentioned, Skad, trying to come up with the correct way to give a compliment distresses Dunk even more than the possibility of like death or having to fight. But nevertheless, he continues on to cold mode. Um, little no on their way they have to cross a full and flowing ditch of water that rises as high as thunder's belly courtesy of that newly constructed dam so stark contrast to what's going on at cold or at a standfast anyways arriving at cold moat dunk notes that it's a castle albeit a, a, a modest one it's not like high garden or storm's end but it was a castle Uh, with each of its four towers being twice the size of Standfast, he judges. The water from the ditch uh, flows freely into Cold Moat's moat, um, which nevertheless was still running low. But being admitted into Cold Moat isn't enough. To see Lady Weber, they must first pass through the Castellan, Sir Lucas Longinch. Nearly as tall as Dunk, not handsome, and serious for days, they found him speaking with a great fat Septon who introduces himself as Septon Sefton. Yes. That's right. Septon Sefton. Uh, the long inch immediately dismisses Dunk, 
threatening to hang him for his part in the trouble at the dam. Yes, he knows where he's from. Uh, if Eustace, says the Long Inch, wants to talk to Lady Weber, have him come for himself with Bennis Brownstench. This reader agrees with Lucas there. Anyways, Dunk remains firm, and Septon Sefton takes his side, actually, urging the Long Inch to allow Dunk to speak with the Red Widow. Long Inch reluctantly agrees, and they are taken before one of his clan, a lady soft and fleshy about 40 years old uh dunk was having trouble finding a compliment for her so he jumps right to the topic at hand the trouble with the dam she in turn has a smart aleck equipped for every one of his claims i built a dam heavens no i've been at my devotions all morning oh your small folk grow melons what kind i love melons by this point, a smirking crowd is gathering, and Duck's Dunk senses a JP trap. It's a trap! <laughs> it's only when he asks to speak to the lady in private, and someone in the crowd yells, A silver says the great oaf means to better her, that a girl cuts in to see what is going on. Now, Dunk had seen this girl earlier practicing at the archery butts shy of five feet red hair in a braid that hung clear past her waist freckled and a slight figure dunk soon found that he was looking at the actual lady rowan weber the older fleshy woman was actually her sister-in-law nice one lucas long inch it was a jp jape so if you can believe it, Dunk's ability to string together a coherent sentence <laughs> takes an even further dive into the abyss. Uh, you're too... Uh, young, she replies. Not really. She's 25. Uh, pretty. Pretty. I meant to say pretty, Dunk counters, before stating that because she was four times a widow, she thought he thought she'd be uh, older. Well... Rowan Weber explains her first husband died when she was 10 and uh, everyone else since then. Oh boy, this isn't going the way Dunk wants it to. He tries some further compliments that all fall flat. Uh, he compliments her gown and she wasn't wearing a gown. <laughs> he compliments her soft hair. He'd never touched her hair. So how did she know it was soft? Oh boy. Uh, rough go for Sir Duncan. But despite this and the mockery of everyone else around them, Lady Rowan actually agrees to meet with Sir Duncan and his squire, Egg, in her audience chamber. And so ends uh, a rather comical chapter, rather, uh, section. Rather comical. Uh, Lady Rowan, the star of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh... Man, she does a number on me, Matt. I, I love this character. She's something, dude. Just... Okay, because... I struggle to put my finger on exactly what it really is about her. But it, it's it's actually her kindness. Mm-hmm. At least, at least I think that's the thing that puts it over the top. She has... Every ability to just embarrass and shame the crap out of this guy yeah and instead you know she 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 takes it easy on him and maybe that's because mm -hmm. she's attracted to him 
you know, maybe there there's lots of reasons I suppose it could be, but I get the I get the sense that she's just a kind person. And um but dude, yeah. she killed all those people. She yeah. skins people alive and stuff, man. For sure. Do, do you think do you think they play this joke on a lot of people that come to Coldmoat for the first time? I don't know, man, but the lady, she was like she was like ready for it. Hellicent was her name. She seemed like she's either playing dumb or she's actually really dumb. Right, yeah. One of the two. It's hard to tell if she like yeah. was in on the joke or if she was really playing dumb. Yeah. But uh I mean she didn't miss a beat. So But I mean you could even say like Inchfield says, No, nah, we're gonna hang you or get out of here or whatever. And Septon mm-hmm. Sefton is, you know, the good cop. No, no, give a give him a chance. Like let's Yeah, you like know. The something they've done. A few times. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I don't I didn't think about that until I heard the way you were reading your summary. And I was like, I wonder if they do this a lot. Because because <laughs> That's a good point. They could have. Yeah. Yeah. I won't spoil it, but there are other reasons why I think maybe that's true. But um I don't know. Uh clearly the the interaction between Rowan and Dunk is it's it's almost Michael Scottish. It's so painful to read, right? <laughs> it's like the Tots Tots episode, Yo, which I still I, I, I can't, I can't even I can't even watch it, man. <sighs> yeah, I can't either. It's the worst. Hey, Mrs. Scott, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? Make our dreams come true. Hey, Mrs. Scott, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? Make our dreams come true. There are a lot of moments in that show where I cringe and can barely get through it. The uh-huh. Tots Tots one might be the worst. It is yeah. far and away the worst. Like even when I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna watch this all the way through. It's just a TV show. It's not even real, man. Just watch it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't. Yeah. yeah. The other one is the the wedding one, where he make where he like basically makes the wedding about himself. Phyllis's wedding. Phyllis's right? wedding. Oh my god. Yes. Yes. Oh when my like, gosh. Where he keeps saying. <laughs> And for the first time, Mr. and Mrs. Buffett. <laughs> and he does it like three times. It's worse. Oh. I struggle with that show. The show is funny. And my wife loves it. Anyone loves it. But I, I struggle with it a lot. Because <laughs> it's just so unbelievable that anyone would be that way. But, but at the same time, kind of. Like he does it so well. Yeah. But I agree with you. Welcome yeah. to Dwight's Fingers, everyone, where we summarize Office of the Office episodes. Ooh, maybe we just found our next... Uh, <laughs> our next calling. Please don't. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to live through it. <laughs> the Tots, Scott's Tots episode would just ruin us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you think of Egg's advice? I mean, there is something to be said for... Being a sweet talker, right? There is. Yeah. I, You know... I do like what he says about find something that you like, that is good, that you can be honest about. He's not saying to lie. Yeah. He's saying look a little deeper than you might normally. Yeah. Find something. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. Compliments can go a long way. For anyone. Yeah. Compliments can go a long way to softening a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just get some common yeah. ground. It's not bad advice from Egg. Yeah. Uh, you know, for any interaction, not just if you're trying to sure get on a lady's good side or something for or, anybody or get your water back. 
Yeah. Yeah. Find yeah. something you like and key in on it and be what, sincere. What do you think our our reaction to the water going into the moat is supposed to be? Uh I imagine it's supposed to make us a little angry. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you're not using it for melons, you're using it for like to fill your moat. Yeah. But I guess we did just hear about how Dosk and Little Dosk fell to Reavers, so maybe maybe she's just trying to be careful. I don't know. There is something to this defense. No, you're absolutely right. I didn't make that connection that the Ironborn are getting too close for comfort. Yeah. And uh, that defense needs to be there. Um, but I think George probably knew that we were going to like Rowan Weber, right? Yes. He writes her that way. Yes. He writes her so that we're like, oh, there's something I like about this chick. So just as a way to kind of prep us for that and hedge us against it a little bit, he reminds us by saying, look at that moat she's filling up. Yeah. Remember those guys over there, the dead fish? Yeah. In the little stream by Standfast? Yeah. They don't got water. She does. Yeah. She's just so flirty, Matt. Ugh. Tracing the tunic with her fingertip, heart all a flutter. Just do, do you think? Do you think her people see her like this a lot? So, like again, you painted the story very well in your summary, but like twenty-five years old, she's mm-hmm. in the prime of her, you know, being. Right? She's True. never been able to keep a husband for long um she's been trying since she was 10 um she's probably like pretty interested in men right like we talked about this with with danny when we were doing the song of ice and fire and stuff like she's a girl that's used to used to being sexually fulfilled danny not rowan like, does she just... Do you think she just flirts with everybody that comes in the door? Do they see this regularly? Or is Dunk special? I don't She's know, man. hard, right? Oh, yeah. And is like, is she trying to catch him off guard? Is Maybe. she being like... Is she being like a spider scad? Yeah. Luring him into her web? And then she's going to roll him up and yeah. save him for later? I mean, maybe. It is very subtle, that. With a... The best, the best one is what she says uh, when when he talks about her her hair being soft. She says, "I I would think I might remember," which is not which is not. Oh yeah, that's not just saying like you never touched my hair. That's that's almost saying I'd love it if you would touch my hair. Touch my hair. That's so something I, can't I would remember. Later. I wouldn't forget that if you were to do that, right? It's just so flirty, man. I love it. <laughs> best line of that sequence is when he thinks about her freckles oh but she's freckled all over yeah poor dunk <laughs> so dunk here is like 20 19 approaching i'd say 18 to 20 because he's not really sure how old he right. is yeah so she's but he kind of thinks he's like 16 or 17 in the hedge night so yeah. Say eighteen to twenty, which puts her at a yeah 
decent age over him. Yeah. Um, oh, do you have you have much else to to go here? This was a short section. This was this was only nine pages. This one, but yeah, it's de- and it's a it's a setup, right? It is. Like uh, you and... said the blue balls. It is for sure, and you you put it well. It's it's almost like a little joke section, and when I split it up that way, I didn't intend for it to be like a little joke for you to tell, but that is kind of what it was. It's it's set up with Egg being like, "Hey, make sure to give compliments." This is how you have to do it, you know, putting that seed in his mind. To Inchfield and, Sep- and Sefton, you know, take him over to set up the joke with this trick they've played, and then you know the rest of the joke following through. It really did play out that way. Um, it, yeah, it, it got through it, man. I didn't like the trick, so. to be honest. It feel it felt. I don't know. Just could have done without it. It doesn't do a whole lot for me. Hmm. Well, I know why it bugs me a little bit is because it's so against kind of what he described Lucas Longinch as, as like severe and serious. Yeah. yeah. I almost pictured him as a Stanisy type. Mm-hmm. And so for him to play this joke just felt out of place. And I know we just met the character, so we can't claim to know him well. Yep. But it just, it, there's some dissonance there. It feels like it doesn't work. But it really almost is to, to set up, I guess, if we're analyzing why it's effective, it is to set up this extremely awkward introduction with Rowan, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, shall we move yep. on? Which works very well. It does. It does. Once we get to the actual introduction, it's yeah. great. It's gold. Oh, it should be noted quickly. The Scots taught. <laughs> yes. It should be noted quickly that she doesn't seem to like Lucas either. He offers to come yeah. back and be a part of the discussion. She's like, no, 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 it's fine. You can, yep. you can yep. go do other things. Yeah. yeah, she asks for him to go grab the maester. And Descended. he's like, yeah, I'll bring him back with yeah. me. Yeah. And he, she's like, nah, just you could just send him. That'll be fine. Yeah, you got you got a lot to you got a lot to do here. All right, shall we uh, shall we move on? Let's move on. All right, let's. It's time now to thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you, Blood Riders, Yeesh. for all of your support. Um, wanted to just call you out real quick. Uh, at the dirty cab driver level, we have Jacob M, Lady Fatass Red, Jeff H. Archmaester June, healer of the lesser poxes. Jeremy L. Jamie K. Donorus. Sarah from Texas. Colin U. Sir Stormthea Snow, the Bastard Storm. Blood Reiner. Alexander G. And the Ghost Chase Killer. I got my gravel pit. Uh, and from our reach around level, B word, the Queen Beyond the Wall. And Josh C, Warden of the Reach Around. And finally at our Team John level, the lovely Misa, the Queen of Gifts and Beauty. Thank you everyone for your support. And we're going to move very much. directly now into Who's That Dragon? Who's that? Who's that? Who's that dragon? And we have for this segment today, Damon Blackfire. Yeah. Start with a little quote. Uh, Damon was the warrior himself that day. No man could stand before him. He broke Lord Aaron's van to pieces and slew the Knight of Nine Stars and Wild Will Wainwood before coming up against Sir Gwain Corbray of the King's Guard. Uh, 
Damon Blackfire is a huge fan favorite. People love him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. I know Pat, uh, one of our followers, uh, Pat loves the Blackfires. Huge Damon Blackfire fan. Uh, and we love Pat. And we love Pat. And 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 George himself loves Damon. I think Damon is George's favorite Targaryen. I think I read that somewhere. He certainly writes him that way. But but I found in in doing the research for him, we don't really know a lot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, so I I got out the uh, the world book, and I was just kind of like mm-hmm. I went to the um, I, I went to the uh, the back the what do you call it the index, and he's on like I don't know like twelve pages. He like he's he's in lots of that book, and. Uh, mentioned and stuff, but like you don't learn a lot about him. So let, let's let's start, I guess, with what we do know. We'll get we'll get more back into that in a little bit. So let's start with his uh, his claim. So he was born out of wedlock. He's a bastard. I think everyone knows that. Uh, he was a son of Dana Targaryen and her cousin Prince Aegon, who became mm-hmm. Aegon the Fourth. Um, everyone, I think, probably knows this story. But basically, when King Aegon the Fourth died, he legitimized all of his bastards including Damon. Um, but Damon had more to his claim than, than just that, too, um, because he was given um, the Valyrian sword Blackfire, which kind of legitimized him in a lot of people's eyes beyond just being legitimized on the deathbed. Now, Blackfire, getting Blackfire wasn't a sure bestowal of, like, airship. Um, no. It's like a piece. But, yeah, it, it said a lot. The reading yeah. between the lines. Yeah. yeah. So he was. So he was. And this raised... was when he was twelve years old, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. Or was it fourteen? No, it was twelve. Yeah, it was twelve. Um, so he was raised at court. You know, kind of like what we were just talking about with Donald Noy. He was given nothing but the best training. You know, teaching maesters, all the you know all the stuff to to teach him everything he needed to know, and he excelled. Right? He seemed to kind of like Rhaegar. Um, you know, they, they describe Rhaegar like he just kind of took to all of it. He was good at everything he tried, seems like. He won a tourney at knighthood and, and his knighthood at 12, and uh, that's when he got Blackfire the sword as well. And also that's when he stopped calling himself Damon Waters and started calling himself Damon Blackfire. And personality-wise, it mentions that he won friends easily, Yep. that the ladies liked him, uh, people thought he resembled Aegon the Conqueror, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah, he had he had a charisma to him. Um he had an ease about him. Things came naturally to him and easily for him. Um he did marry early at 14 to the Archon of Tyrish's daughter and he was mm-hmm. given land there right right uh right near King's Landing. Yeah, um, close to the Blackwater. His half-brother, yeah, Darren uh who was kingly that gave gave him that. Um so you know he's kind of he's kind of set up, right? He's he's living at court. He's set up. He's tied in. Everybody knows who he is. He's got a lot of connections. He's good at everything. Um, you know that he's got a lot of kids. He does end up. Seed. He does end up with a lot of kids. That's right. Nine kids in total. Seven sons and two daughters. But here's but here's where it gets weird. As I was as I was reading the um, the world book again to remind myself today. 
the rebellion isn't like you don't get the sense that he's this power hungry i need to to own the world kind of guy it's more like he's just he's more just kind of like there basking in the glory of being this awesome dude that he is right Mm -hmm. uh almost like a i don't want to make comparison because it might mean more to people but almost like a jamie lannister right he's this great knight he's basking in it yes kingsguard cool i'm getting honored i'm really good i'm the shit but he's not he's not in it for domination right and the rebellion just starts weirdly i had forgotten this until i reread up on it you know like he he wasn't like scheming from the time he was young to try to figure out how he could get in control and get power um bittersteel kind of drops a lot of hints in his ear there's a lot to egg him on yeah yeah there's a lot of people that are upset about how strong the dornish have become in the current uh regime with darren marrying oh geez i forgot her name martel uh mariah martel mariah martel thank you um he did have love for his half-sister daenerys uh who had been married off to someone else so like maybe he was a little Um... bitter about that uh, Martell again, Mary Martell. Yes, correct. Yep. She was married to a Martell, also seeding again some of that um, jealousy or uh, even maybe racism a little bit. People really don't like the Dornish, some of them. Yeah, and 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 then again, Aegon uh, before he died, uh, both of you know Darren and, and Damon's father had kind of insinuated that Darren might not actually even be his son. That he right. might be the son of um, Neris and uh, Amon the Dragon Knight. Yeah. So, so there's kind of just all these little things that just mm-hmm. kind of add up. And Bittersteel, Aegor Rivers, another of the Great Bastards, just kind of like prodded him into it, it almost feels like. And he's like, yeah, okay. All right. Why not be king? Mm-hmm. Why not be king? Everything comes easily for me. Why not? I'll go be king. Sure, let's do it. That's almost, that's almost yeah. how it feels let's to do this me. Thing. Is that am I way off on this? Yeah, like it sounds like the way that it officially kicked off is that yeah he'd been like okay let's do this king thing, and then word of that decision leaked to Darren right yeah King Darren who then sent the Kingsguard to arrest him, and Damon escaped. And then he kind of used that as a premise to declare war that Darren was trying to have Damon arrested for no quote unquote reason. Right. Which I wonder if I had a little thought that a little theory, if you will, that I wonder if Bittersteel leaked that information yeah. mm-hmm. fully intending to get Damon out of there and escaping, helping him escape. Yeah. But to give him that impetus to kind of push him over the edge. <clears throat> yeah. But, that's interesting. That's but yeah, it, it does it it does happen very kind of quietly and yeah. Well, you without know, without fanfare or anything. I didn't think about it until until just now. I feel like I've said that sentence nine times in this episode. Nine <laughs> times. Uh, nine. Like Robert, a little bit in his yeah. rebellion, like he was uh-huh. the figurehead, right? But there were kind of all these other forces kind of moving around him before his rebellion, mm-hmm. right? But he was the figurehead and the one kind of in charge and, the you know, obviously the 
master warrior kind of running the show maybe kind of similar i didn't you know like yep there's all these forces kind of propelling daemon forward and he is the warrior and he is the figurehead and he's the one everyone will rally behind but robert didn't want to be king does daemon even want to be king i don't even know we don't know we don't know a lot about this guy like what what really makes him tick right yeah apparently and... bitter steel really wants him to be king yes right for his own reasons, perhaps. For yeah, which reasons we don't know. Yeah. But we do know that Bitter Steel sticks with it for a long yeah. time. Yeah. That dude is in for a full pound. He's in for two. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. That guy. The, the, it's not just a bitter steel, it's like a bitter soul that guy's got. I mean True. So we don't know what kind of king he might have been. Should we speculate? Yeah, we can speculate. I mean, that's what we do here. Yes, it is. What kind of king do you think you would have been? Um, by all accounts, he would have been a dandy king. Huh. Uh, you compare Darren and Damon, and I come out on the other side pretty much at sixes. <laughs> Damon looks the part. Uh, he's... He's gallant and handsome and talented and all those things you look for in a Westerosi celebrity. Mm -hmm. He's a warrior who's skilled with any weapon you put in his hands and, you know, he makes friends easily and all that stuff. So it seems like you would have been good. Whereas Darren was very thoughtful and he seemed to be very deliberate and, and kind hearted and just. And so it's hard to say who would have been better. And maybe I shouldn't be asking for a comparison. And you didn't ask for a comparison for me to compare the two. But uh, I think Damon would have done a fine job. I think he'd have done. He would have been, been different. Kind of like, yeah, it would have been different for sure. I think he'd have been kind of more middle of the road. You know, mm -hmm. kind of not not really like. Probably wouldn't have had the drive to get a lot of really good shit done. He's not gonna go Jaharis and like remake the kingdom and you know do a bunch of really good shit. But he's not going to let it get conquered or taken over or, you know, he's not going to let the land get raped like Eris does, right? Right. Um, you know, so I think he'd have been, like, a good king, but not a great one, is my guess. But it's all mm -hmm. speculation. I'm sure Pat right. will write us an email about how great he would have been. We'll see. He already did write us a really great one. Oh, I'm, talking about, oh, I'm talking about a different Pat. Oh. But, uh... Oh. Yeah. Uh, Dor Doherty, I think. Yes. Yeah. He's yes. a big Blackfire fan. He is. You're right. Yep. Uh, we got a bunch of good emails that I still need to respond to. Uh, lots of good ones. Uh, so, so that's our speculation. Anything to add to the speculation? Um, no, I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. Should we just talk about his legacy? You kind of alluded to it already uh, with all the... All the seeding, all the sowing that he did. Yeah. Um, he left. He left some people behind. Those people, those people didn't leave as many people behind as they could have. I mean, this could have really spiraled out into a thing that lasted for a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. But you know, the lifestyle that they led. So, so they all left. So after Redgrass Field, they all went across the narrow sea. Um, Ego Rivers considered to prop up, you know, these sons and brothers and everything of of Damon's too. Um, not brothers, but sons of Damon's to uh, 
to try to do more rebellions and you know they all eventually failed um but uh you know it could have got it could have got much worse that those people lived different lives over there and focused on making heirs and building a kingdom instead of being these bitter sellswords right yeah we had four well, we had three additional rebellions right I think so yeah of varying degrees yep there was one you know they sent over uh his son uh for one i'm trying to avoid spoilers yeah, a little bit too deep into that yeah let's not go too deep but there were four additional or three additional black fire rebellions as yep. they're recorded in the history books yep. with kind of one final uh after that but bitter steel stays with it for some I'm looking at the dates here, 50 years, almost, 40, 50, no, 50 years. More, yeah. yeah, more like 60. Well, I don't remember when he dies, but um, it wasn't until 260 when the last, when the male line was extinguished, right? Yeah, and then, uh, well, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the... I had the date written down for the second Blackfire Rebellion. I'm not even considering the first, yeah. which was 15 years prior. Yeah, so, or, uh, 196? Six, okay. yeah. 196 to 260. So, yeah, 60-plus yeah. years, bitter steel stayed with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, uh, mayhaps even into the main series. Uh, yep. With some of the theories out there with with egg on the sixth uh not the bitter steels running in the show but um mm-hmm. there are those that think that 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 has some black fire seeds as well i read up on that theory again today i did too in yeah. case you and i talked about it <laughs> i don't remember whether we we're gonna get to it in dad or not <laughs> but i'm afraid of going too deep into it now for spoiler reasons but oh and you know what I, I was feeling that this was wrong, and I'm sure I'm just feeling the the disapproving takes of our listeners um, correcting you before now. it even happened. Yeah, uh, but Agor did actually die before that final. Yeah. Okay. That final thing, he died in 241. Oh, okay. And I remembered it was kind of an insignificant battle that the Golden Company was fighting in, uh. um, and he kind of died. You know, rather inconspicuously. Uh, right. But there were still people around that continued the fight. Yes. Uh, beyond yeah. that. Just it wasn't bitter steel. Um, Toyn, right? Uh, Blackheart. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the descendants. Um, uh, M- M- the Monstrous. Which one is it? Malus. Malus the Monstrous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, gruesome part of the story there uh but let's move on i don't think i have anything else for for damon blackfire unless you think i've missed something crucial about his story so far that we know it nope you've done a good job covering what there is to cover here's the sad thing so today i think was the day that george released the day we're recording kalasar uh mm-hmm. is the day that george released the chapter headings for fire and blood mm-hmm. did you see that today i did and i think we knew this already it was only going to cover part of the targaryen history um, but we're not going to get more Damon Blackfire in that book. Nope. So, questions will remain for a while before we get more understanding of this man and that no man could stand before with Blackfire. Anything mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. 
All right, should we move into Davos After Dark? Let's do it, man. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, uh, staying with us through our, our ramblings through the first half of The Sworn Sword. We are now going to go into Davos After Dark, where we do spoilers galore. Anything and everything goes. We'll talk about the main series. We'll talk about future Duncan Ake books. We'll talk about anything we want to, um, you know, including the Blood of Heroes if we want to again. So if you don't want to continue on, smash the device, pick it up again in three weeks, and we'll see you then. Davos After Dark. I guess if you smashed your device, you'd have to buy a new one. You can't pick it up again. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'll, I'll stop giving that advice. Yeah. Hope we're not caught money. Yeah, I just don't want them to take it too literally. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, maybe you will have to give them those ten bucks. <laughs> I'm not kidding about that, man. I'll do it. I believe you will. I totally right. believe it. Uh, <laughs> where should we start here? Uh, you want to go? You want to just start with the quick tidbits? Some of these little fun things. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so just a couple things that I kind of just bulleted them together to signify to SCAD that they're not something we have to spend a lot of time talking about. Um, but, uh, actually the first one, we might be able to roll into the, uh, bullet point of sad fate, but how's Osgray is doomed. Yeah. Let's leave, let's, let's put the first one at the bottom if you can, and then we'll, we'll transition right into that. Like you said. Okay, so Dagon Greyjoy, uh, we talked about him currently raiding in the Reach. And when is the next time that happens, Scad, that uh, the Ironborn invades the Reach? It's coming up. I mean, if you, uh, if you, if you believe all of the tidings that happened in uh, Feast for Crows, Dance with Dragons, uh, Euron Greyjoy is coming for him. That's it. Yep, Euron is the first one since Dagon Greyjoy to infiltrate we'll see if he gets as far as dagon did um interesting what uh what ended up repelling the ironborn because like we mentioned king Ares wasn't doing much but it was an unprecedented coalition between lannister and stark forces that repelled dagon greyjoy and pushed him out man common enemies yeah so you wonder if uh you know, George has alluded to repeating history at times and stuff, and if something like that would happen again. Well, I can't imagine it would be Stark and Lannister given the, the place the those two state. families are in right now. <laughs> yeah, the state of the two. That's why it would be interesting to see. I, I mean, I wouldn't quickly... see it Go ahead, in an actual all-out war, but if somehow some members of those two houses were to somehow meet up. And I don't have a theory. I'm not being coy here. I really don't know, but... No, I see what you're really trying to do. What you're really trying to do is get me to tell you, no, it's going to be the amazing Tyrell boys that have to fight off the Greyjoys so that we can swing this conversation to your favorite Willis and your second favorite Garland. That would just be too easy, though. (laughs) The story would be over. (laughs) Ironborn gone Uh, under the mighty hands of those Tyrell boys. Would that their hands could be on me. You, you've you've said, I think you're on record saying you think it's going to be the Tyrells that, that fight off, or try at least, to fight off the Greyjoys. I've semi-gone on record saying I think it's going to be the Hightowers that pull some sort of rabbit out of some sort of hat, some sort of different magical type something. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But uh, 
I haven't ever written down what I mean by that, and I, that's because I don't know. But I feel like there's something going on in that high tower that's gonna that's gonna affect Euron's progress. Uh, in the words of our friends at Nauticast, Amen, brother. Indeed. Um, steal that. Well, I gave him credit. <laughs> uh, another fun little tidbit that I found is that uh, we've got the long inch being rebuffed repeatedly by Rowan Weber, who appears to have some sort of mild to moderate to, I don't know, maybe even further attraction to Sir Duncan the Tall, right? Yes. And uh, that can only add to Lucas's frustration that he's been with her all this time and all that. But um, so looking at looking into the inch fields, we have one other mention of an inch field in the A Song of Ice and Fire canon, and that is Sir Owen Inchfield, who back when uh, men were teasing Brienne of Tarth, um, he actually tried to kiss her, and she knocked him back into a fire. Yes. So with Sir Owen descending from uh, Sir Lucas and Brienne theoretically descending from Dunk. We've got cock blocking continue to happen by Dunk's descendants. Good old George. To some degree. Right? He's so good. I don't know if he meant that, but of it course seems, he did. It seems interesting. But uh, the last thing I found was well, no, not the last thing. Bennis. At the very beginning of the story, when Duncan Egg returned with the wine, he says, you were gone so long I thought you'd run off with the old man's silver. Which? And what is it that he does at the end of this story, Scad? Runs off with the old man's silver, which is presumably <laughs> worth more than four silver pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we don't know. Um, let's see. Oh, I skipped one. Egg being sucked into the sands in Dunk's dream. Back in that dream, Egg gets sucked into the sands. No matter how hard Dunk tried to pull him out, Egg was overcome. I wonder if that foreshadowed Summer Hall a little bit. Uh, of course, we don't have a lot of in information there besides the two of them dying. Mm -hmm. Um, and it might not even signify, uh, the literal death of the two of them. It could signify him being kind of sucked into that obsession with the dragons. Yeah. And maybe Dunk's trying to pull him out and root him back to reality and isn't really able to. Right. Yeah, and does does Egg have a reason to be sucked deeper into that reality as I teased on my completely oh boy. unrealized theory from the last episode there? Yeah. All right, I and, think so. And the last one. And finally, um, this can transition into a, a talk about the fate of House Osgrey. But yeah. uh, one of the... I wonder if a windblown swords in A Dance with Dragon, he's uh, covered in like spiderweb tattoos, and he allegedly has a claim for lost lands in, in Westeros. The Tattered Prince mentions it. And what is his name? They simply call him... Weber. So I wonder if uh, he's a descendant of at least Rowan Weber, and if it's Cold Moat that's his lost land. Could be. Uh, they mention uh, in the next section of the Sworn Sword that 
cold moat will pass to a cousin, Wendell Weber, is it? Can't remember yep. the name. Uh, if she doesn't marry in time, and uh, mm-hmm. so it could be that he, that he's a descendant of that that line of Webers, and that they've got their own land. Somewhere. Sure. Yep, you're right. Um, but but no, it could be some sort of descendant. I don't. We don't know. Uh, transitioning now to the the fate of House Osgray, we know that Rowan doesn't have any children before she marries Sir Eustace. Spoiler, she marries right. Sir Eustace. Um, we know also that they don't have any children together. Um, mm-hmm. uh, well, at least it's not mentioned that they do. Um, and it is mentioned that she has children with her next husband. Um, prominent ones. Quite a few, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, but, you know, it, it's sad. Uh, and we'll get to the doomed question here. I don't know if, if that's what you're implying with Weber himself. But it's sad a little bit that you know, all this talk we did about, you know, Sir Eustace being somewhat defeated and his line being ended and his sons dying in the black bushes and, um, you know, then he, he gets married and you think, oh, maybe, you know, maybe an heir, maybe he can, you know, make a go of this and the Osgrays will live again. But it doesn't, it doesn't seem like that happens. Yeah. It's this little victory. It's a big deal at the time. And you think, yes, you know, just like we mentioned, there was a mission to accomplish in this story. Yep. Get the water going again, bringing this background full circle to what we talked about at the beginning. And they completed that mission, so that's a cause for celebration. But uh, in the end, but the, House Osgrey still gone. But the, but there were two other big missions, right? On the Weber side, keep my birthright, right? Yep. And on that the Osgrey side find a reason to live and continue this family and make my family great again. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in the sense of like, again, the macro picture of like a song of ice and fire, that's exactly the kind of thing you'd expect is for those, those storylines to end in tragedy. Right. And it doesn't work properly. And, you know, he doesn't get his heirs and the, his line just dies. Um, mm-hmm. but for this, for these zoomed in stories, you almost, they almost feel more like fairy tales. You almost feel like, mate, yeah, let's give him an heir. That should have happened. You know, I, f- I feel I feel a little cheated. I feel like Eustace should have got an heir out of that. <laughs> no. Well, no, I understand it, yeah. but sorry. <laughs> it's your fault, Matt. Sorry, you feel cheated, man. I don't yeah. know what else to tell you. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not that upset. I, I don't really like Sir Eustace, so I'm not that upset. You'll be able to sleep tonight. but Spe- Yeah, you do find yourself cheering for him, though. Speaking of not liking Sir Eustace. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I totally agree with what you're about to say. So I know all our readers probably know this, too, but he sends Dunk to treat with the Lady Rowan Weber, the Red Widow. Knowing full well that the stream he wants Dunk to demand back isn't his. Unless he's got some sort of amnesia or something, he knows it's not his. And he's still sending him into the lion's den, the spider's web, to make this happen. Knowing that he's got no ground to stand on, right? What was he even thinking? What a dick! Right? I mean... I mm-hmm. guess he's thinking it's worth a shot. If I don't do this, he's going to die in battle. So give it a try. 
Mm-hmm. But like you still should have armed him with the information. Yes, I agree with that. Ugh. Come on, man. This just... Yeah, makes him awfully hard to like. It's again the living the past thing, right? Like, Yep, he's entitled to it. Yeah. Because for a thousand years, it was my family's or whatever he says. Well, I'm sorry, man. But you lost a war. Yeah. You were on the losing side. And that's what and happens. Very proactively chose to be on that losing side. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you made, you know, you made the mistake. Yep. And that's just what happens to people that lose battles. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, we touched on well let's let's talk about the boot. I don't think there's anything more to say about that. We agree. Uh Sir Eustace is a dick. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the boot. You want to talk about the boot? I mean, I just say that I pity the dick that he is, but he's a dick. Yeah. And I think we're meant to pity him a little bit. I, there are so many jokes available. I yep. Can't, I'm, I'm just going to skip them. I worded it the way I worded it. <laughs> I'm used to pity being taken on dick. Never mind. Let's yes, move on. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Same page. Uh-huh. The boot. The boot. A boot. Uh, it's a boot time we got to the boot. It's a boot time. Uh, I don't know what... I think this would have been a really, really bad place to use the boot. Because, because I don't know what it would have accomplished. The boot, for those that don't remember or, say, yeah, or know, uh, the boot actually contains evidence that egg is egg on it's uh, i don't even remember specifically what it is a targaryen seal of some kind it's should, a ring it's a ring okay that's right a mm-hmm. ring that indicates that he is Aegon. and while this in this case would be shocking i'm sure to the lady weber uh i don't i don't know that she would do anything about it it's still yeah. it, she'd bow right and she would treat them nicer and probably have a feast or something um you know but i don't i don't think just egg being a targaryen is going to make her give the water back well yeah she can point back to her signed document that she has from the king yes because egg yes he's technically in the line of authority but it's not like he's the heir coming up well, and what she'd probably do, I mean, you know, he's young, but what she'd probably do is break out the dock and be like, well, look, you're, yeah. your family set this up this way. You shouldn't be telling mm-hmm. me to do something your family, like, you're that's going what against I mean. what this, your family wants here. Yeah, this is signed by the king. Yeah. And all deference to you, young prince, but you're not the king. <laughs> right. Let's have a feast. We'll go kill another one of those cats in the woods. Glad you're here. Yep. But, you know, like. I like your ring. It's nice. Mm-hmm. The water is mine, though. <laughs> I like the ring. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I I will admit there is a component to this that if they if they knew about the water, they might not be considering the ring. If 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 they go in thinking that the water is theirs, mm-hmm. or should be Sir Eustace's. And that they're just pulling a power play. 
then maybe he could be thinking, no, my ring is a power play. She's doing the wrong thing, and right. I can say, no, the power of the crown will come down on you for this wrong thing. Yep. Right. So, you are stealing. Right. So, mm-hmm. so maybe that's what they're thinking, but it still seems like a... I'm not sure the power of the crown would come down on them for this. This is a, like we said, this is a very isolated, insular conflict. I'm not sure that they would get involved, but. Well, and, and they do know by that point that they decide to use the ring, that he is, that it's by seal, not theirs. They don't know yet. They still have a conversation. No, they don't use the boot here. What's here? They don't. Are you talking about in the next book? Because they whip out the ring and show her the ring at uh, before the battle starts. They do? Yeah. And she, like, tries it on and stuff. Wow, I don't remember this at all. I read these books in, like, August. Oh, because it, it's like, she she's like, well, nice ring. It's pretty much like you said it would be. Huh. Wow. They give it back, and they still got to fight. Interesting. I didn't even remember that. I thought that for... Uh, interesting. Okay. Hmm. Yep. But but when they're considering like... it, when they're considering it this first time, yes. they don't know that. Yeah, they don't. And But that's interesting, that Dunk at first is adamant of, like, we're not using this ring. Yeah. We're not using your boot, buddy. And then when it comes and down to And then at to the it... end, even when he knows... Everything that he knows, he's still going to at least try it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember now. Yeah, 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 yeah. People are shaking, the cows are shaking their heads at me. (laughs) Come on, Scad. Won't be the first time for us, buddy. (laughs) Nope. I have no shame. And it's not going to be the last. (laughs) Uh, We already talked about the two kind of remaining things that are on this list. We already talked about kind of a little bit during the main part of the cast. I don't know if you want to add anything to them. Um, The first one here is I have to serve small folk. um, And Dunk says, not serve, help. Um, Mm -hmm. How the events in the Sworn Sword influence Aegon's ruling years. And I didn't remember that I was spoiling this when I brought it up in the main portion of the cast. um, Kind of comparing it to Aegon, the other Aegon. Mm -hmm. But yeah, kind of similar ideas, right? Um, That this is, in a way, prepping him. and, And the conversation that Dunk has about these small folk know things that you don't know kind of puts his mind in a certain place that helps him when he's going to rule, right? Well, yeah, and it it shapes his policies Mm. and it shapes the type of king that he is. Um, A lot of his reign was centered around reforming laws to grant rights and protections to the small folk. And that obviously endeared him to those small folk, but it really left the lords, the lords of Westeros, feeling a little betrayed, and um, because of uh, you know they're losing out on things. The more power you give the small folk, the less power the lords have over those small folk, right? In terms of how they're able to tax them, it doesn't give a lot of specifics on some of these policies that dunk tried to implement or excuse me egg tried to implement um but the world book uh mentions that he felt he had to make a lot of compromises right yes. with these lords and that's where some of his frustration came from he felt that 
dragons would give him that muscle that he would need so he wouldn't have to make compromises. Yeah, it's the Death Star. It's exactly the Death Death Star. Star. Yeah, Yeah, in fact, I wrote down this quote. uh, Maester Yandel from World of Ice and Fire. Had he only had dragons as the first Aegon had, he could have remade the realm anew with peace and prosperity and justice for all. Isn't that exactly the excuse that Palpatine gave for the Death Star? Pretty, pretty close. Peace and prosperity, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah, and yet that's a very, it's a very ends justify the means thing, like we were talking about during Hedge Knight. Mm-hmm. Of you know, like Egg is very much willing to lie to get the end that he wants. Right. He's very much willing to use dragons to get the end he wants. Mm-hmm. And is that good or bad? I don't know. That. Ends justify the means thing has always been a, a moral thing that I've struggled with. Yep. You know, it should. And it, it totally should. Yeah. But it does. You're right. This shapes him. Um, it, it shapes how, you know, like you said, the policy that he wants to enact. Uh, I'll just read this real quick since I had uh, this lying about on the desk where, where, we're, where I'm casting. Aegon knows that kingship is his duty, that a king must put his people first and live and rule for them. Mm. That's yeah. of course uh, the one of the final couple paragraphs in the Dance with Dragons. Varys talking about Aegon the Sixth, not mm-hmm. Aegon the Fifth. Um, but uh, same thing. He's learning, um, you know, and and uh, Dunk alluded to this in the Hedge Knight uh, to to uh, Egg's dad. <laughs> My names, the Targaryen names, are all fluttering about. Makar, uh, Makar, yeah. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, he implies, like, look, he should come and get this type of education. Darren's a drunkard. Arian's crazy. They both grew up with all the finest silks and wines they could have. Send him with me. Give him, a, give let's, him an education. Let's give this a try. Yeah, and he's yeah. getting it, and yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna make him a better ruler, just like Aegon's getting. Although Aegon's. Aegon the Sixth's experience is a little bit more contrived and less. Be... Mm-hmm. The, boot, the, the boot is the perfect comparison, right? He has this boot, right, that, that keeps his identity secret, and they go completely under wraps. No one knows the difference except Dunk. Aegon is kind mm-hmm. of finely handled by some people that are told to finely handle him and, you know, to educate him and do these things for him. Um, it's a little bit different, but. The same idea. Yep. Totally um, agree. Okay, the last thing we had here was uh, this crossroad note. We kind of already talked about it. Duncan Egg start this book at a crossroad. Uh, Sir Eustace is at a bit of a crossroad. Yeah, we kind of did. Yeah, we kind of mm-hmm. talked about it already. So I don't know that we need to hit it again. I'd just say um, I think Sir Eustace is a bit lost. There's He doesn't feel like there's a lot he can do about it. And yet this insult of the water you know, kind of pushes him to the point where he feels like he has to act. He must take arms against the Sea of Troubles. All right. I think that, uh, I think that does it. Yeah. I think that does it, my friend. All right. Um, let's see. Shall we sign off? Yeah, let's sign off. Okay. All right. Well, but this is Matt signing off, reminding you that when you are asked something like, 
if you like the new uh, Christmas pajamas that your wife has ordered f- for you and your family, that uh, to to maybe remember the counsel of Bennis Brownstench, who said, "There's truths and truths, Lunk. Some don't serve." Nice, nice. Uh, and this is Scad signing off. Reminding you that you can always find something nice to say about somebody, even that they have well-shaped ears, perhaps, which is how I got my Aowen to fall for me, by complimenting her well-shaped ears. Yep. Good night, everybody. It's a tale that will be told in the Thompson family for generations. (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) Good night. All right, how you doing, man? Good. Did you get my text about the poop? No. What happened? Oh, nothing. I just was a little late because my precast dump took a little longer than normal. Oh, I see. You know how it is. <laughs> I was afraid it was like you had like like a leak or something. And there was poop everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Something. And I got I got word today that they're well either canceling or delaying Bad Out of Hell musical, which is sad because man that Meatloaf music, Jim Steinman that stuff was meant to be on stage in like a theatrical a theatrical show and I don't know whether like I kept seeing it's funny I never see ads for Eccles shows like it seems like they always sell out pretty well without any advertising. But mm. I've seen buses, and every time I'm on Facebook, I get ads for this show, like you know, like they need to sell maybe. And then I got called today from a robocall. It's like the show's been canceled. You'll get a refund. Like, oh, that sucks. So first of all, yeah, they're making a meatloaf musical. Made, yeah. It's been it's been on stage for I don't know how long, um, but yeah. <laughs> How yeah, it's, this? it's called Bad Out of Hell, and I bet it's amazing. Oh my gosh! No wonder it got canceled, dude. No, you clearly haven't listened enough. Some might argue that any is too much, and that someone might be you. But the music is so theatrical; like it's meant to be on a on a stage like this. It it very much is is theatrical. 100% agree. Yep. Yeah. Blood Riders, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Let's give some credit where credit's due. So, we had The Return of the Crossroads by Bone Thugs and Harmony. We love that song. That's from their album East 1999 Eternal. Uh then keeping it back in the 90s, we had uh, Waterfalls by TLC. From their 1994 album, Crazy Sexy Cool. Then there at the end, the closeout music that you just heard was by a great new band out of Nashville called The New Respects. Their album's called Before the Sun Goes Down, and the song that we sampled there is called Something to Believe In. I love these guys. Saw them on tour opening for Matt Nathanson and OAR last year. Fell absolutely in love. It's a sibling band, uh, and they're great. Check them out, please. 
That's all I got to say. So stay savage, Blood Riders, and we'll see you next time.